This is G.I. Joburg episode 90. G.I. Joburg, the podcast where four true believers sit down and talk G.I. Joe. My name is Steven, and as always I'm joined by probably the best guys in the game. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me back that up a little bit harder. I'm backed by the best guys in the game, the finest G.I. Joe minds this side of the Dark Continent, and the very bright one. I'm here with my buddies. Introduce yourselves, gents. Some assembly required with Kung Fu Battle Grip Pull. I'm letting Robert go, right? (laughs) As you wish. I just always assume your continent goes first, and then I'll follow up. Uh, Un-American, but that's, that's how I roll. That's true. You guys are so nice. Council Culture Cooch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Robert, joining you from the deepest cold of Cape Town. Winter is here. Yeah, we went to the beach today. Totally. Oh, we even got in the water. <laughs> oh my god. Winter isn't coming. Or it is. It's coming all over you. <laughs> and rounding out the ultimate team, we have our North American representative. Uh, you got Cujo and Long Beach. I'm gonna play this one like Sour Patch. First I'm gonna start out sour, then I'm gonna be sweet. When dreaming up this topic, we thought we cannot avoid it. There's something very deeply rooted in G.I. Joe between the number 80 and the number 90. And it cannot be ignored. It cannot be avoided. The 90s, for many was the death knell of the G.I. Joe line. We, however, G.I. Joeberg, are not here to bash the 90s. But instead, we are here to hold up all that is good, all that is amazing, all that is truly, truly G.I. Joe in the 1990s. Because guess what? At least three of us happen to be 90s kids. So it couldn't have all been bad because it was enough to leave enough of a lasting impression. (laughs) to infect us with this <laughs> this malady well into our adult life. So we have the 90s to thank for us being G.I. Joe fans in the first place. But what is it about the 90s that did it? Sure, there were a lot of misses, but there were also some hits. And tonight on G.I. Joeberg, we're going to discuss the very best that the 90s had to offer. Absolutely. Like, the 90s were pretty cool. I, I have some memories of them. <laughs> um, the best part of the 90s was that we could actually go into a shop and buy G.I. Joe's off pegs. I mean, like, that that's for starters. That, that's how I know we're 90s kids when it comes to G.I. Joe's. As much as we love the 80s figures. But, At least for our I mean, part in it. this country, in the 90s, G.I. Joe stood on its own. We did not receive any episodes of the, the Deke cartoon. Uh, the video game, the arcade game, I mean, was... Uh, Pretty rare as far as arcade cabinets go. The comic book wound up at newsagents, but it certainly wasn't uh, selling as many units as X Force or or Spawn for that matter. Spawn, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles probably eclipsed GI Joe for most kids, but the coolest action figures out there will always be the real American hero. So tonight we are going to. Get tough. We might even go a little extreme. But it's 90s mania. Extreme! Spring-loaded, weapons actually shoot, 
Kung Fu Action Pentamorama Bonanza. <laughs> so if well, wind wanky be, hands. If you happen to be a person that loathes all things 90s, you might want to give this one a skip. Or keep listening. Maybe we'll we'll convince you otherwise. We promise to avoid weapons trees and mega marine uh, bio vipers. <laughs> what are they? The mon- monstro, monstro vipers. vipers. But we are going to talk about the coolest toys and just the good times that we had with this era of toys. But first, a usual segment. Anybody got some new stuff kicking around? I know I've got one or two new things that I like to delve into. I got one little new thing that I'm super happy about, and it's 90s related, it's 90s flavored. I happened to, through a local seller, which is quite rare in South Africa, to find... Well, I managed to find... Let me let me say that in English, for our English-speaking uh, listeners. <laughs> uh, I had the privilege of finding a major blood, a Sonic Fighters major blood, on our local sort of eBay-esque uh, platform called Virtual Buy. I managed to pick him up for a very good price, and he is pretty much brand new, okay? He is, I, I, I actually assume that he was opened quite recently within at least the last year or two, and then kept in a baggie or something, you know, by a collector. This figure has been a toy that I've been trying to get my hands on for a while. Not, you know, not like I've hunted him down on eBay, but I used to have dreams, okay, where I used to go into my local pick and pay, and... You know, at my current age, well, and I'm talking about a few years back now, I used to have dreams of finding this toy on pigs with the Sonic Fighters Falcon. Like, like this pick and pay was the only pick and pay that had, like, two carded Joes left, and I was the guy who found him. And this major blood has always stuck with me, at least in that regard. And i got to say, this is the best major blood in the vintage line for me, personally. I know a lot of people bemoan his grenades, but uh, I think it, it adds to the aesthetic. He looks like such a schmuck. I mean, he's got such a schmuck look. But he looks a bit like Timothy Dalton. Am I right? But yeah, just great weapons. Um, They are completely out of this world, which is to be expected from a 90s figure, especially a Sonic Fighters figure. Uh, The weapons make for great MacGuffins in your little G.I. Joe uh, play patterns. You know, I I use these big sort of... It looks like a big vacuum cleaner. (laughs) I use that as like a MacGuffin. It's like some kind of... So, you know, some kind of weapon thing. Um, last time it was like a microwave emitter. Anyway, but it's kind of funny because when you have him holding it properly uh, by his hips, it looks like he's got like a big uh, Sonic Fighter Dong thing going on. It's like he's overcompensating. <laughs> or perhaps but, uh, one of those exercise machines. Remember those like sort of ab crunch things? Yes! You know, you used to like push this thing into your abs and like crunch down on it and, and pull it towards you. It would have handles on either side. And so that's the kind of action that he's engaging with that sort of, um, I suppose it's a pad, an abdominal pad <laughs> to, to, yes, uh, yeah. to absorb the recoil from that weapon. I used to use it as a sonic weapon. So I used to c- try and keep it in the same vein as, I suppose, Supersonic Fighters M.O., um, that he would sort of swoop around the battlefield with that jetpack, basically like uh, using a sonic tr- disruptor to burst the eardrums yeah. of, of G.I. Joe's down below. Until oh, which someone is actually quite a... potted him out of the sky. <laughs> it wasn't a difficult um, thing to do because uh, you'd just have to shoot some of his grenades. 
I mean, uh, as children, we didn't uh, know that grenades don't work like that. You shoot a grenade, uh, you know, it, it, may, it, it might remain inert. But, yeah. you know, as a child, it was just like, I got you in the grenades. You, bl- you blew up. You know, we'd have these <laughs> epic arguments amongst each other. No, you didn't. You didn't shoot my grenade. I got you first. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I really miss but, those uh, days, guys. <laughs> really. <laughs> I do. Um, it is worth mentioning that the seller that I got it from is a fairly well-known seller at least a toy seller in South Africa Uh, he has a he's had a long-running page on Biddlebuy his name is Mark Please he runs a store called Ach Please Daddy which if you're South African you will know the reference to the name he doesn't just do G.I. Joe he also focuses on Masters of the Universe and Thundercats and like a myriad of things, uh, actually. Uh, but his G.I. Joe selection is pretty good. And uh, if I didn't already have most of the stuff he had for sale, I would have felt like it was Christmas finding some of the toys that he had there. But I got my major blood. One more thing that's worth mentioning, because oh, Steve actually uh, mentioned before it. You, before you switch topics from Mr. Please, Mark, if you're listening to this podcast, and you know full well that you did business with my fellow South African companion, Paul, instead of coming directly to me with all your G.I. Joe merch after (laughs) I told you specifically that I would buy it all, don't forget I know where you live. (laughs) Um, Carry on. Yeah, to add something to that story, um, I did ask him for a list of all the uh, stuff that he had, and he sent it to me, and uh, I mentioned this to Steve, so... That's I know your daughter's reaction. first name. <laughs> but hook, uh, but Jesus. you know what I mean? As always, uh, it's great to have a South African. <laughs> Look at me. It's great to have a South African seller who's actually a really cool guy. To some. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to just say, Steve mentioned it now with the app cruncher. Did any of you guys know anybody who had one of those things? Uh, those stupid gimmicky workout devices always wound up gathering dust. Like, I think I remember seeing it in someone's, like, loft. Like, I was over oh, at right. a friend's house working on some kind of project that we had to, to, to hand in at school together. Sort of, you know, a team effort, as it were. And you'd always mm. see them, like, older brothers stuff. Mm. I mean, guys, when are people going to learn, man? If you're going to use any gym equipment just stick with the weights like all these toys yeah. it's just uh, yeah it's hopeless like all these various like replacements for the treadmill the aura track <laughs> and like yeah no impact on your knees because it goes in an ovular fashion it's like well why don't you just get on a bicycle anyway uh, anyway, we used to use I, that I as a, a gun <laughs> oh really like across yeah we used to run around yeah, no, 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 not even. You know, like how you get some GI Joe ve- weapons that are just two-handed, like Major Blood's gun. We used to kind of use it like that, like a like a very powerful beam laser thing or whatever. Because uh, my friend's parents had one of them lying around, so we used to run around these plots, <laughs> and somebody would, you know, there wouldn't be enough like squirt guns and whatever for everybody to pretend they had guns, so somebody would get the fucking ab cruncher, <laughs> whatever. Oh, wow, <laughs> it's like therapy. Yeah. Imagination is an amazing thing. Don't ever lose it, kids. <laughs> we don't need imagination. We got video games. Oh, honey. <laughs> They'll never understand, oh. will they? Mm-mm. 
if you say the name Timothy Dalton, the only thing I can see is him tripping at the end of uh, Hot Fuzz and, and sticking his jaw in that pyramid. Wasn't that <laughs> horrific? Oh, that was pretty God. horrific. Oh. Yeah, there, there was a moment. <laughs> anyway, oh, who's, next? who's next? Who's yeah. next? I think me and Steve are next. We recently received a fantastic package in the mail. I believe it was uh, our portion of uh, of something that came for for Paul. I mean, like he, Paul got a pterodome recently, and just to fill up that box, um, the, the seller was was kind enough to just throw in a bunch of Joes and stuff for us people, and we got some real sweet deals, real cool stuff. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the highlights um, were, were probably uh, Crystal Ball, who's a fantastic little figure. Yes. Um, he, great red eyes. Um, <laughs> he looks completely insane. And the 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 um, lenticular shield is is oh, not maybe not lenticular, but the little 3D type shield thing is fantastic. Um, just the way it moves around and stuff, and the, you know the, the, the image changes. It's really really cool, and it fits really well on his arm. So Crystal Ball is is definitely a highlight for me. But the biggest highlight I thought was um, was the inclusion of a Cobra Buzzball, which is one of my I, I suppose my <laughs> <laughs> guilty delights of the the Cobra line. It's it's not complete, but it it works, which is cool. You can kind of run along a carpet and up carpeted walls. Um, it really works well on carpet. <laughs> carpeted walls. <laughs> well, it it's just good on smooth stuff, um, but you can run that. No, along. it doesn't. It's fantastic. Um, the only thing is, like, getting a figure in there is is fairly tough. Like, you got to really like ab crunch him to get him in there. <laughs> it's like I wasn't sure. Like, do you have to put the head in first and then they put the feet in? So I managed to like like angle the figure so his head goes in first, as well as like his left foot, and then you just got to struggle a little little bit to get the right foot in. But it's really cool. Uh, it's 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 I suppose it's smaller than I thought it would be. And the interesting thing that I didn't know um, is that when silver plastic gets discolored over time it actually goes a bit gold which I, I found very fascinating in a way mm. but I mean overall it's it's a good specimen, it, it runs, it does what it has to do um, You know, with a little e- eBay search it should be quite easy to complete I imagine <laughs> as mm. long as the shipping isn't too much just need to grab the two missiles and the red cobra badge that snaps into place Done. on the door it's worth noting of course that yours um, that your buzzball in a lot of ways is more complete than mine is, because like, I don't even have the gun. I've just got the buzzball, like vanilla, no <laughs> gun, no missiles. I've got the cobra sigil, but um, yeah, yeah. Mm. So uh, at least yours is, you know, more complete in that regard. And yes, it's a great toy. I'm very happy that you've that you enjoy it. Cause... Yeah, for sure. Th- th- those are my highlights. Um, Stephen, give us a rundown. Well, first of all, thank you, Greg Crocart. You didn't have to, but uh, you felt it necessary to include something for all the G.I. Joe Berg boys, or at least the South African contingent. Oh, third world poverty. But uh, we are very, very grateful. Not only did Paul get a pterodrome, but we all got some some goodies. I'm going to refrain from talking about anything non-90s, because he... (laughs) Included some 90s goodness, as well as some cool 80s stuff, which I'll get into in another episode. But as far as the 90s are concerned, there are two figures that he gave us, which are fantastic, and figures that I have never owned. Uh, The first is the Snow Serpent version 2. 
aka <laughs> Extreme Sports Cobra Trooper, <laughs> because he is rocking like the baddest snowboard outfit ever. I swear, I would love to replicate his get up and then hit the slopes. I would, I would fucking cruise the half pipe. I'd hit the park. I'd do some 50-50 rail slides. I'd be like all over that shit. Because this guy is badass. And his board is bodacious. It's, <laughs> it's scaly. It's got teeth and eyes. And it's got what I can only assume are like two rocket pods. <laughs> so, I mean, mm. to hell with having to like unclip your one foot and push yourself across flat terrain. No, no. He lights up those burners and cruises in style, baby. He's rocking cobra symbols on his boot cuffs. He's got a fuzzy, <laughs> like, almost like a bear body warmer. Uh, I mean, this guy's just a furry beast with big red goggles and a rad-ass bandana hanging off his neck, which is nicely done. It goes, it runs from his purple face scarf and down onto his back, but it's not a separate sculpted piece that stands away from the figure. It's sculpted into his back, so it doesn't do that weird thing. It just looks seamless at all times, uh, which is terrific. I love it. It's great. But he has got the smallest feet on any G.I. Joe figure ever produced. <laughs> they are tiny feet. Oh. Tiny, tiny feet. Wow. That's so a, small. Those are quite tiny. And if you can consider that a snow serpent is a cobra eel, and our cobra eels have got the longest, largest feet of all G.I. Joe figures. So somewhere in his um, snow training... Snow Serpent version 2, um, I don't know, man. I don't know if he was compensating, like, stuffing something into his wetsuit back when he was Neil. But, yeah, man. His Crossbite. His feet... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> he lost his toes! That's it! Brilliant. Cujo, you're a genius. And that explains... Far his, from it. ...his criminally undersized feet. But let's face it, it's a practical concern so that his feet don't... Um, like edge off the, the, the board. They need to actually fit within the confines of the, the board's edges. So, you know, whatever. Just don't ever look at Snow Serpent version 2's feet. <laughs> uh, admittedly, I don't think I ever take him off the snowboard, to be honest. Uh, uh, I have too much fun with him on the board. Extreme sports exactly. trooper. I mean, zero. Zero military application whatsoever. I, I think... Like, the snowboard is just too cool, but it's really, like, it's taking a, a, a note from, uh, well, I was going to say taking a note from the Ninja Turtles, but I suppose they were around by then. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, this guy's very much a Turtles Cobra guy in his design and execution and gimmickry, but an absolute joy to have and a whole lot of fun. No, I just wish there was snow. <laughs> <laughs> Next up in the 90s goodness package is Big Ben. A extremely tasteful figure that really could exist in any era of G.I. Joe if the sculpting wasn't so damn good. Okay, this guy takes all the advantages of the 90s and a G.I. Joe line that was really reaching its technical zenith as far as the figure construction design, uh, the mold sharpness is concerned, I mean, he's got about 120 individuated 
brass-painted bullets on his body. Now, that tops... I mean, like, there are plenty of figures in G.I. Joe that have bullet belts sculpted onto their person. But not many of them get the size of the bullets right and the coloring right. The linkage between the bullets is painted black. The bullets themselves are painted brass. It's perfect. And there's not much else going on on this figure. He's got some cold weather gear. He's got uh, spattered boot covers. He's in two tones of green. He's got painted uh, whites to his eyes, which is a very nice touch. Uh, A very well detailed face. An earpiece. So he's very much a you know, a later 20th century fighting man. You can see that there are some technological advantages to the figure. But what really makes him a standout figure for me, apart from the excellent sculpt, which is excellent in its understatement, I mean, it's a fairly plain sculpt, what really makes him top, top tier are two of his accessories. The first, his machine gun. Okay, it is perfectly scaled, it's done up in a very nice glossy black plastic. Has a bipod, which, thank you, Greg, the machine gun does include its bipod. I know that is a difficult part to to find to complete this set because, uh, for whatever reason, there's some ambiguity as to where it clips on the gun. At one point, it's rather loosely clip- held on, and at, at, at in its correct point, I believe, uh, it's it's quite firmly held. But a lot of people got that wrong, and hence a lot of bipods disappeared into the ether but this gun is gorgeous simply gorgeous if you don't know this weapon ladies and gentlemen of the audience ah man ebay and gi joe sellers out there should all (laughs) should all rally behind gi joeberg because we're about to increase some sales in big ben action figures but this gun is one of the best one of the best mgs out there because of its excellent scaling. It's not oversized at all, which is a rare and wonderful thing in G.I. Joe heavy machine guns. But that's about all I can say about a machine gun. The accessory that really, really, really makes me almost angry that they didn't copy it uh, more often is his backpack. Now, G.I. Joe backpacks were typically small satchels that uh, were worn uh, on the upper portion of a figure's back but the bergen style backpack that big ben comes with is a correctly sized large pack and this is a more realistic backpack for any kind of soldier to have an adequate amount of supplies equipment and and it's just it's correctly scaled the details are sharp there's nothing milky about its sculpt it is excellent. You can see the little clips that you would use to open it up. The whole thing is extremely immaculately well-designed and very true to life. Everything from the sculpted grenades to the, the shovel, which has its uh, spade part folded over, like an entrenching tool. There's a pouch on the side with what appears to be an antenna hanging off the back of it. It's all there. The straps have texture to them. There are straps that look like they're slackened. There's straps that look like they are taut over the back of the backpack. 
There were three grenades, also immaculately sculpted, with their spoons and even their pins sculpted onto the grenades. It's... I think it's the best G.I. Joe straight-up plain backpack ever produced. And as I say, I'm kind of a bit remiss that this backpack wasn't produced or at least copied a number of times. Because you've got so many similar backpacks. Hawks is similar to Flint's, is similar to Footloose's. But they're all quite dinky. This is a multi-compartmentalized large backpack, which just screams realism to me. Yeah, man. The file card artist wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. No, I guess not. But the figure is what really takes the cake. I mean, you're the art guy, Kujo. Me, I like to play with toys. That's <laughs> that's my start point and my, oh. my finish line. Your yeah, modesty so is not lost on me. My two... <laughs> My two 90s hauls from, from Greg's very, very kind inclusions are wonderful. I'll get into the rest at a later stage, but I am one happy camper. Thank you, Greg Crocart. Nice. I got I always got new stuff I can talk about, but I always end up talking about Joe culture lately. So I'll do that now. It's worth mentioning that there's no hubris behind these words. I, I've got nothing against anybody in the community, but uh, everybody that's keeping up with Joe comics knows what Sitterson's up to uh, as far as what his book is kind of what, how it's taken shape, etc. cetera. Um, and people have taken both sides. Uh, and we got pride month coming up over here. So one of the alternate covers that IDW commissioned was, was uh, they called it a homo erotic cover. Um, I, I, you guys have probably seen it. I think Rob brought it to our attention. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you guys get in on this if you like, but I mean, I know we're talking nineties, so, I, so I don't want to get too deep into this, but, uh, basically the, the way that it kind of played out is Sitterson tweeted something about the cover and in the tweet mentioned that, uh, he had posted that on a GI Joe boards thread and they pulled it. And the tweet said something like, the board moderators are bigots, you know, put this cover up everywhere. Um, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, but, but I wondered when I saw that tweet, you know, cause I'm tangentially connected to Joburg, uh, if that happened to be you guys or someone else, you know, it, eventually I found out who it was. I don't know why they pulled that conversation. It's not important to me really, but I, it did bring a couple things to my attention. And I felt like uh, I did tweet at uh, Sitterson and the cover artist. And uh, maybe you can hear that jet overhead. But I tweeted at them because they, they had dropped that tweet. And then the uh, artist, uh, Wovable Oaf, I believe it is, he had mentioned that we, they were probably just some snowflakes. But, uh, so I'll, 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 I'll answer to that. Um, I'll be your snowflake. First of all, Sorry, man, what is a snowflake? Is that some kind of derogatory term? Well, it would basically be you're talking down to your audience, basically. So, but the, uh, a, a snowflake? What's the what's the implication there? Well, implying that if you're not into butt stuff, you're not on their level, essentially. <laughs> um, all right. But I'm kind of easily offended. Episode 90 of GI Joburg. We get controversial with 
butt stuff. Not at all. This is one man's opinion. And and I'll, I'll also say this, that these gentlemen have invited me into this conversation, G.I. Joe Berg. And I think anybody that's listening knows uh, what a privilege that is. And I don't use this as my sounding board, but these words are mine. I'll, I'll put my hands to the fire uh, later if I need to. Um, we didn't invite you in, dude. You just came in to make yourself at home. Remember? Brother, <laughs> one day we'll when tell I heard the you guys drop the fire, I couldn't stay on the sideline. You know that. Right on, dude. Right on. But basically, this is what I have to say about this. Uh, lovable Oath. First of all, I'm a line artist myself. You have intuitive anatomy work. I'm not playing around. The flow on that cover is real. I like it. Um, I'm not going to hang it up. And here's why. The thing about G.I. Joe and the thing that you gentlemen will come to learn if you hang around is the comic readers were baptized by Hama. And what I'm saying is that Hama introduced a property that wasn't about sexual or gender politics. Like he was beyond that. And you can you can do that digging for yourself. But basically, like introducing sexual politics to G.I. Joe, the fan base isn't really into it because most of most of the people I know, I mean, dude, Steve's in, in theater arts. You know, we're all we're all in the trenches. Gayness doesn't really throw anybody at this point. Mm-hmm. But that leads me to this point. When we see that, you know what Joe fancy? I see Mindbender because that's who I was introduced to. That's who Hama taught me about our society. He said, when people start spinning low-level drama, it's usually Mindbender. And I'll leave you to kind of turn that over. Um, so, I, you know what? God bless. And I, and the cover's awesome. So, good luck with that. And, and I, I guess that brings me to Citizen. And, and I'll say this, dude. I like your game. We should be allies, but this conversation we're not. And and and, he, and here's the thing, like, well, I'll just I'll just I'll dissect it like this. Let's talk about Salvo. You rebooted that character, and you you, you pitched the book to me as the Dick series, I believe. <laughs> no, the, the cartoon series. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, that's uh, <laughs> but you did a gender swap, and that did have the the fan base curious. I'll grant you this. You can start a conversation. But when the origin is just that the character was gender rebooted to fit more of a, a socially friendly structure ordained by yourself, that that makes the book about you, not about the story. So you just you just gender swapped the character. You didn't read or de- reintroduce the character. So if you like Citizen, get in the tweets, get on his Facebook. If you like him, you'll like this book. And I'll end it on this with a slight amount of, of pleasure. The thing about Joe books is they are smart and you you kind of came into the fan base thinking that that you were smarter and that, i don't know how that plays out elsewhere but we cut our teeth on symbolism and and i looked at your books like dude i'm i support most joe artists we got your books and i flipped through them and, and i'll mention this since rob mentioned uh, crystal ball you got crystal ball doing the baphomet on the cover you may think that's cute, but honestly, uh, you just happen to run into the G.I. Joe occult specialist codenamed Cujo. If, if I want to see symbolism that simple, I'd go to Catholic Mass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I get it, dude. And we run in the same circles. Let's laugh this off later. But I hope you grow into this brand because you got skills. 
but G.I. Joe is serious. Because, I mean, like, when I think of a modern-day Joe book, it looks like this. You got Mindbender and Cobra Commander in, in, a, in a room somewhere, and Baroness comes in, and she says, people are still asking why Building 7 collapsed. And Mindbender goes, is Bruce Jenner still a man? Change him. Like, that's where we're at. So, God bless. And, dude, it's too funny. You, you may think you're into the occult game, but you're in Joburg, gentlemen. Welcome. Okay, I think it's time we talk about toys now. Toy, toy, toy. Guys, so the 90s introduced spring-loaded weapons. Anyone want to talk about their favorite spring-loaded weapon? I want to get my favorite one out there because I think it's the best. And I'm really scared one of you guys uh, gets gets to it before me. <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. So I'm going to shoot first with my weapons that really shoot. <laughs> well, my favorite missile launcher, uh, or BFG from the line, is actually also a backpack, and it belongs to Mercer. Uh, that's 1992's Mercer, no, not 92's Mercer, that's 91's uh, Mercer, for those uh, paying attention. Uh, what made this backpack really amazing, or what makes this missile launcher stand out, for me at least, is that it is, firstly, it is not oversized, like a lot of the uh, BFGs tend to be, and it also, it's it fits on the figure quite well. So, you got Mercer, he comes with two guns. And he's got a missile launching backpack. You don't have to, like, take one gun off to hold this massive thing or lose your two really good guns for him to use his one really big gun. Also, the fact that it slings over the shoulder is great. I I love that as a toy feature. And uh, that is Paul's favorite plastic missile launching launcher from the G.I. Joe toy line. I see you. I see you, but I raise you. I raise you sci-fi 1991. Cause, oh. uh, you know, Mercer's missile is just a big orange dildo with no detail on it, man. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like my, my dildos detailed. There is really cool <laughs> sculpting yeah. on the projectile that sci-fi's weapon includes. The weapon itself didn't see use with any other figure, which is cool. The weapon sculpt on the silver gun bears a striking resemblance to the rocket launcher from Doom. That always tripped me out. It's got that bell-shaped end, which you'd always see sort of (laughs) rising into frame when you selected... What was it? Number six. Weapon number six was the rocket launcher. And what a fearsome weapon it was. Just don't get close to the explosion, because that's your ass. So that is a, a cool factor on its own. The fact that it integrates so well with the figure and his specialty, I think, is what sets it apart for me. Sci-Fi came with two black hoses. He had four attachment points. One on his helmet, one on his backpack, one on his laser rifle, and one on the missile launcher. Hmm. So taken together, he has an integrated weapon system that runs through all of his equipment. The backpack, presumably, is used to power the laser rifle, increasing its life. Therefore, he's able to train it on a target and keep it on a target 
for as long as he wants to either burn a significant hole in that said target, he can ramp up the power and be even more destructive at close ranges if he wants to burn something quick. <laughs> uh, but he also comes, at least in this iteration, with some seriously destructive power, which is something that a laser trooper needs to have. I mean, typically they're lasing a target for an airstrike. Well, with this missile launcher, he is the airstrike. <laughs> Sci-fi has it all, and this equipment taken together with the figure's excellent design and deco makes him perfect in my eyes. He's the perfect use of a spring-loaded weapon because it integrates so well and it feels seamless. It doesn't feel like a an odd inclusion just to give the figure a gimmick. It feels like this is part of his equipment and as a result, I regularly display my sci-fi with his included BFG. And that's something that I can't really say for many other figures because typically mm. they just look so damn big. Well, in his case, the missile launcher itself is of a, a more moderate size and the fact that it has a hose that plugs into his helmet for sighting and has a, a brace that he can put up into his shoulder uh, all add credence to the fact that this is a more believable weapon for a, a single soldier to wield in the field. Yeah, man, I love this missile launcher. And I just tested the missile. It shoots damn far. It shoots further than the Snow Serpents and further than Grunt version 3. So, so there. <laughs> the missile yeah, also, I seats, it also seats quite nice and deeply into the launcher, which assists it in, I suppose, getting more coil to its spring and increasing its range as a result. It's a terrific, terrific included accessory end. My favorite BFG. Wow, did I ever think I'd ever utter those words? No. Huh. But uh, you heard it here on G.I. Joburg. <laughs> I remember my sci-fi, well, that sci-fi in particular, uh, when I was younger, I remember that being uh, one of the strongest missile launchers. Uh, out of, I mean, because we, we used to test these things, you know. Dave and I always used to see how far they could shoot. And I remember sci-fi as being significant. Uh, I think... I think Sci-Fi's was actually the strongest. I could be mistaken. It's possible that Big Bears one also did quite a good job in terms of range. But I distinctly nah, remember Sci-Fi's. Nah. I've got a Big Bear. His doesn't shoot much further than Grunt's. I'm going to wager that my Sci-Fi could take any other BFG in my possession. I'll go home and test it. I promise you. That that's a, There's a future video. <laughs> <laughs> that no one actually cares about but yes for my money the sci-fi bfg is the best sculpted furthest shooting and best integrated bfg in the line wow. how about you robbie for me um I, I think one that also integrated quite well was uh, the one that came with the bot um <laughs> <laughs> the battle armored android trooper because all the other ones weren't wearing any armor i mean they're but is that really your favorite <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd have to say so because i mean the cool thing is that, i mean he doesn't even have to hold it it just kind of slides into a slot on his arm um and it feels appropriate kind of like almost as appropriate as um steven has made the sci-fi's one out to be because and he's got two modes of firing it he could attach it to his arm or he could just bend over <laughs> <laughs> you know because it's a backpack too and it sort of 
pokes out to, from from behind him. Yeah, exactly. So he's gonna be like lies down and he's you know he's ready to shoot you. <laughs> I think I used to do that with both the battle android troopers, and the uh bot oh sorry you're talking about the battle armored android trooper yeah that one i was thinking about the bat version 2 oh bat version 2 yeah he can attach his hand his arm becomes a rocket launcher with this one it slides on like underneath his hand which Mm -hmm. i thought was really quite cool and also i mean the figure himself isn't that bad either i mean i like that he's 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 one of those one of those rare gi joes he actually has a wrist articulation which is just pretty snazzy i think um you can't use it very well with these uh, terrible neon yellow <laughs> weapons, but uh, otherwise, I think it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, so that if I had to choose a favorite spring-loaded missile, um, it has to be that one. Mm-hmm. Kujo, do 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 you even have a favorite missile launcher? I mean, I mean they're they're terrible. I would understand if you didn't. You know I what? I tried to wrap my mind around the the, the missile launcher. I, I left. I'm gonna leave that to you gentlemen because it just wouldn't be true but i do have plenty of fire to talk about the 90s when we get to you know after tentative and whatnot can i can i just say that it's worth mentioning that the eel v- uh, version 2 probably has i don't want to say the best bfg because it's difficult to class it as a bfg but like one of the best rocket launching accessories ever in the entire gi joe line i mean it's a freaking shark that shoots freaking missiles I mean, yeah. So I would like to, I would like GI Joe book just to acknowledge the Robo Shark uh, as a really cool thing to have, whether you like missiles or not. Well, I'm, 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 I'm just gonna wrap up on your point on the eel accessory by saying that for all the failings of the Deke series of GI Joe cartoons, yeah, they were many. very good at featuring all the toys. In that sense. The eels included shark, robotic shark, missile launching, uh, techno, uh, animatronic beast, was featured in the episode entitled Keyboard Warriors. Incredible. Where a pair of kids who think that they're playing a video game are actually controlling Cobra units in the field using this top secret Cobra uh, computer. Oh, wow, that's very Ender's game. And they're tasked with eliminating Grunt. (laughs) Their mission is to kill Grunt using every weapon at Cobra's disposal. And so how fitting. (laughs) Let's talk about Definitive Sculpt. Let's talk about a figure who spans both eras of G.I. Joe. Mr. G.I. Joe himself. Mr. G.I. Joe Avatar. We're talking Grunt. And this is really going to polarize you whether or not you're an 80s-style G.I. Joe fan or a 90s-style G.I. Joe fan. So I'm very curious to know what what emerges in this debate. But as a warm-up round, guys, I'm just going to gauge your tastes by listing a figure. And you're going to tell me whether you like their 80s or 90s incarnation. Just straight up. Okay. It's like one of those quizzes on Facebook, you know. Yeah. Find out, are you 80s or 90s G.I. Joe fan? Absolutely. Hmm. I'm going to give you the name of a character who has both a version in the 80s and a version in the 90s. I might get specific with some of the versions, but you need to tell me which you prefer. 
Are you ready? Ready. Mm-hmm. First up, the Battle Android Trooper. Robert, 80s or 90s? I'm going to say 90s. Cujo, 80s or 90s? 80s. 80s. Paul? 80s. Okay. No black, ready to attack. 80s takes it. Mercer, 80s or 90s? Oh, shit. Rob? 90s. Cujo? 80s. Paul? Yeah, I'm also going to say 80s. I'm going to because I've said 80s in a previous episode, man. I can't go and, like, backpedal. Cool. Well, (laughs) this is also uh, something that came up in a previous episode, but the eel. Rob? Ooh. Shit. Oh, shit. 90s. Of course. Cujo? Brother, I, I think we're going to get redundant here. Go on. <laughs> okay. Well, let's switch things up a little bit. Low light, 80s or 90s? Do you have uh, any... Does any... Uh, Cujo and Paul, do you guys have any favor for this figure? The beardy low light? I love 80s low light, dude. I, I, I think 90s low light is cool, but I love 80s low light. That's so low light to me. Afro wins. Okay. Tom Berenger, man. He's the shit. <laughs> I'm even going to say 80s on this one. I'm going to go with the 90s. Bam. Whoa. Kucho, what do you say, bro? <laughs> 80s or 90s low lights? I, I see, the, I see the, the red goggles. I mean, I, I see the first edition. Oh, but they're removable. And they flip up on 90s mm. version. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. All right. How about sci-fi? 80s or 90s, boys? Grey versus Shut neon this. green. Ironically, the latter one being the more conservative color scheme. <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> They're so polar opposite. Um, shit. I'm going yeah. I'm, I'm to have to... Uh, well, top of my head, 80s. <laughs> Duh. Because you own that one. <laughs> I... I've owned both in my life, and I think they're both terrific toys. But there is something about the gray version that I think it maybe it's the helmet. Sci-fi has always had a problem with having a big head, but I'm, I'm going to go with the green version with the, the 80s version because that that is still an aesthetically pleasing toy to me, and even its modern incarnation is very sexy. So, ha, boom, green styles. <laughs> it's silver boots. Okay, you weirdos. Kuja. Tell me no, something I, I want to hear. No, I think lime green, just because you probably got him up against laser vipers, which are, you know, charcoal. So, contrast. Hmm. It's a thing. <laughs> okay, guys. I am the dissenting opinion. The last of the quick fires. Version 2 roadblock. This is Grey Pants roadblock. Versus the 90s roadblock, which Rob learned earlier today is in fact a figure that commands one of the highest prices for a carded specimen online. The 90s for the first version, yeah. Battle Core Roadblock. Which do you prefer? Ooh, 90s. That thing's sexy. Mm. Reinvented I, Roadblock. I'm going to say 90s as well, because 90s Roadblock has a lot of the great trimmings of a Roadblock, and I think he's the best-looking vintage Roadblock. Personally. Yep. All those mold sharpnesses that we speak about. You know, Hasbro being on top of its sculpting game towards the end. I mean, let's face it, like, 
version one roadblock leaves a lot to be desired. The essence of the character is there, but it just wasn't a fantastic figure. But it's by the goofball. 90s, they got it right. Too bad the color uh-huh. on the mass-produced and more easily found roadblock is so bad. Damn it, man. You just can't have it all. But Kujo, mm. do you have any love for the 90s roadblock, or are you sticking with 1986? You're talking about V4, right? I guess I am, yeah. Uh, I like it. The chin-strap goat kind of sets it apart. Mm. Uh, or whatever that thing is. No, it's a I, I patch, bro. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I like that color scheme. I'll go 90s. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and Steven, what do you prefer? Oh, without saying. But to be honest, I haven't owned either. But what would swing it for me was actually a, a Hooded Cobra Commander 788 review, which marked down the 1986 roadblock by having a rather indistinct sculpt. Like, a lot of the details aren't sharp. They aren't picked mm. up nicely by paint. Uh, they just have a kind of a, a dumpy appearance, which which is not true of the latter one. Those details it's are It's very sharp. goofy. Mm. In fact, if I owned this figure, it would probably be my definitive roadblock. I would love it oh. all day. Every day. Oh, definitely. I'm going to get a book out and fawn over that roadblock right now. You you, you, you say whatever you want, Paul. I'm just going to be uh, roadblocking in the corner. Oh. Well, listen, just don't roadblock too much because I, I need you. I'm going to throw in one more character for the 80s, 90s test. Haha. Yay. Um, a curveball. Is it Major Blood? A curve. No, it's not Major Blood. But maybe it should be. But I was actually going to say Stalker. Gents, there are lots of is... versions of Stalker, bro. You don't have to be specific. Between okay, so the original uh, green jumpsuit or green fatigues uh, from the original, from 82. the uh, his original launch, 82, 83, 83, uh, is his line. Um, the Arctic Stalker and uh, um, the Talking Battle Commanders Stalker, because you don't get more 90s than Talking Battle Commanders Stalker. Or do you? <laughs> oh, Paul, I've got to, I got to, I got to get some more uh, constraints to your ambit there. Give me mm. one eighty stalker and one ninety stalker to throw into this contest. You can't do a three-way split. Okay, no, that's fine. Okay, let's be, let's, let's keep it simple. Let's remove the Arctic stalker from the mix and com- and have original stalker and talking battle commander stalker. Original so stalker. <laughs> Rob. Ooh, what does the Battle Commander one look like again? Stevens. He's got the white. Uh, oh. He's got the white camo pants with the yellow trimming, or black shirt, yellow trimmings. I like that. I'm going with that one. Says Blitzum. Nineteen. <laughs> All of you in South Africa, Blitzum. Cooch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I, I know like what o- you got to say. I like OG. Yeah, you like OG. OG. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say, and I know, and I'm a big Stalker fan. I love the Jungle Cat. But, dude, 90s Stalker, between the two, 90s Stalker for Paul. Talking Battle Commander Stalker is too cool. And I think he's just absolutely badass. So I just have to put that out there. That's, this is interesting because, yeah, so we, we've done seven different figures now. Before Paul did his, uh, his, his surprise round, 
I was almost I was like um, basically sixty percent nineties twenty like like forty percent eighties. Uh, Kujo and Paul were basically ninety percent eighties and like ten percent nineties. And Stephen was split down the middle basically. He was fifty percent. That's why I did it. He was he was neither here nor there. But you've now forced him to be a, an eighties kid. Um, so three out of three Joes are eighties <laughs> kids, and Rob is still very much in the nineties. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> He was he was the the guy who just can't decide like eighties or nineties where where do I belong? The ladies and gentlemen uh, of our of our esteemed audience, I believe there's at least twenty of you now. Somebody's going to be buying Rob Battlecore figures. Hey, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't earn them already, yeah. There was a glut of those uh, on the, the toy pegs back in the yeah. The we got at least six uh, <laughs> waffles. <laughs> so good, you can buy them once or oh, twice or oh, three times. Our, our buddy used to rip off his included gun as like the log. What you gonna do? Shoot <laughs> me with your log? It's a, tw- a twig. It's a stick. It's a stick gun. I think it was powerful. No, it wasn't. It was a pretend gun. It's like bang bang, you're dead. Yeah, it's a stick, buddy. <laughs> Stupid. It's what he clubbed you with, you know, when you ran out of ammo with, with all of his neon guns. Okay, but after and all I... this hype yeah. and all this fun... <laughs> let's let's do grunt! We are now going to discuss the merits of 90s grunt and whether or not he was better represented in the 90s than in his OG stylings. And I guess... I'm just going to table the fact that he gets a whole lot more character in the 90s where it's his own sculpt. It's unlike anything that's come before, unlike anything that's come after. And if Grunt truly is a shouty box top with a little jerry curl, uh, banana pants wearing man, then that's him. You know, he really stands out in the crowd. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> does anyone want to have something to say about uh, which grunt they might be tending towards? Uh, okay, I, I also... Uh, I'm actually more familiar with 90s grunt, and I prefer 90s grunt, or version... Uh, well, I'm looking at him called version 3, but uh, technically it's version 2 as well. Um no, actually, it's not. It's version 3 Grunt, because version 2 Grunt is the beige one. Anyway, uh, I like I like version 3 Grunt quite a bit, actually. He's um, he's not a figure that I ran up to the pig to go and grab, uh, but he's got every, everything that Steve said about him. He's got all of this personality infused with him. Uh, I love the little Jerry Curl. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. And I think he has the award of possibly having the flattest head in the vintage line. But uh, I could be sta- I could stand corrected on that one. Uh, my older sense of... Uh, I didn't know that Grunt was originally a vintage character, so when I encountered him as a 20-year-old, I actually thought Grunt was kind of not really a codename for a Joe, but rather just like, he's a Grunt. Like, an army Grunt. Like, that was just like... He, he was like the green shirt. If you like... You know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. he he was an unnamed Joe, if that makes sense. Like because he's very plain Jane in the in the green shirt in his original appearance. Yeah, sorry, sorry, original Grunt. Not so in his uh, his banana pants oh, appearance. <laughs> no, no, his 
Banana Pants Grunt, this guy's seen the life. He probably bleeds whiskey or something, shouts at people, shoots things. He's got a very uh, dildo-looking missile. Great helmet, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly you weren't too much into reading the file cards because it does make mention of the fact that he's, you know, part of the original G.I. Joe. It's a detail I just don't remember. Okay. <laughs> and... I purposely avoided uh, reading the file cards. I actually wanted to do not sully my opinion on this figure. Uh, you know, I didn't want to sully my memories with it. I wanted to have my memories come out as opposed to reading the file cards and then being, you know, had my opinion changed by file cards and things. So I just kept it there. I remember his file card in the original one making him out to be quite a quite a dude, like quite a badass dude. But, I mean, that's what I remember when I read that file card like years ago. So hmm. I mm. smell you tending more towards... 90s grunt then, Paul. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 90s one... grunt gets my money. Can yeah. We... Yeah, okay. We're talking one up for banana pants. Let's counter that with an opinion from North America. What's say? Uh... Mm. Alrighty, South Africa. <laughs> I I took I took a look at the, at the 90s a little bit. And I, don't know, I know the... I can't believe anybody hasn't dropped this, but the dream of the 90s is alive in Joburg. But <laughs> I, I'm going to stick... Again, with, with the original 13, and my logic is this. Maybe it's the subtext. Hama found it fit to give this guy a, a last name of Graves, and he's a grunt. So uh, that that could that could find some people. But I just kind of, as you get older, uh, and everybody's got their group of friends, everybody's got community, there's always a dude that you don't expect to show up in a firefight and I kind of like how Grunt's file card says he's he's always cool in a firefight so there's a, there's a dude who's balding out there and, and he's gonna come through when you need him and that's probably Grunt so I'll, I'll go with the original 13 well the original 13 one I mean definitely looks like he's been through a lot and uh, he's got a receding hairline um, and his his facial sculpt is is it's not symmetrical which I, I found very interesting. His is maybe it's just the figures that uh, pictures of figures I've been looking at, but like his left eye is is significantly lower than the right. Um, so I think he's he's got he's seen a lot. Um, they probably had to kind of like reconstruct his face at some point after like a grenade blew up in front of him. <laughs> That's horrific. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's very ugly. I mean. You know, not taking away anything from the from him as a person, you know, um, but he's he's fucking ugly. <laughs> That's original I mean, like if you think like the shouty face of the '90s is you know is is outrageous. '80s grunt is fucking ugly. I you know he has to have an amazing character personality with a face like that. Well, they um, certainly did uh, did a wonderful job of of glamorizing him in the various artworks that featured Grunt around about the the sort of OG thirteen era, because you know they, that that classic card art of him running at the camera is something that found its way into uh, various mediums, and he looks like a young, strapping, handsome, you know, kind of recruiter poster almost uh, army man. Because his real face haunts all of those artists in their dreams. <laughs> That's why they couldn't draw him the way he actually looks. Melt they, man. they drew his inside. They drew his his, his inner personality, his inner beauty. You know, <laughs> he's beautiful on the inside. It's he must cool. have an extremely big dong, because <laughs> if you look on his version 
five uh, release, and um, you look at the the design on his belt buckle. It's got an arrow that points up, so it's kind of like eyes up here, buddy. You know, so he, <laughs> it must be really distracting when he's like people must think there's some kind of ex, you know like trouser lizard in his pants or something. You know, I'm just <laughs> well, putting that well, out. I there. hate to break it to you, man, but that's pretty much all the version 1.5s of the the OG thirty. Well, yeah, the GI Joe figures from 82 who got swivel arm battle grip all got the hasbro belt buckle so they've all got the arrow uh but eyes up here buddy eyes up here but as an aside i mean i don't know how many of them have bright green uh, pouches i i don't know if i can attribute this to yojo.com's photography but the pouches on his arms are, are bright green so maybe grunt likes night jogs you know uh, sorry, it's just the only thing that makes sense because they stand out quite a bit. Like even in the small picture, you're like, "Whoa, what are those green things on it?" So, so that's two for nineties, if by my reckoning. Oh yeah, I'm 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 on, I'm on board with nineties. I'm I'm a very superficial person. Um, I like to see you know what a person's personality is from just looking at them. So I, I I'm very much on board with the nineties. Not not to take anything away from the eighties, but I mean the nineties one just feels. You look at him, he's very unique, um, which I quite like. And he's one of the rare figures I remember having an open mouth as well. And that kind of gives him points. Yeah, you can have him <laughs> posed eating things. Exactly. You know, he can actually be in the, the canteen actually doing something. Instead of just, you know, sitting there like, silently, you know. Smelling his food. Eat. Yeah. Mm. Smells good today. Make no plastic battles. <laughs> hey, dudes. Uh, yeah, sorry, we just have to wait for Steve to weigh in, because i got something to add to this, but I'll oh, wait excellent. for Steve to... So, Stephen, are we going to deadlock this 80s, 90s, or are we going to have a definitive win? Well, the name of this episode of G.I. Joburg is episode 90, of course. Grunt, in his version 3 get-up, became not just a supporting character in the Deke cartoon, but quite a prominent lead for a number of stories. There was this Keyboard Warriors episode where he was almost like the Uber Joe that that was being targeted for elimination. And he he was regarded as like a legendary soldier or like like the the ultimate hero of G.I. Joe. It's like he replaced Sergeant Slaughter in a sense, which is fascinating i mean why why did they pick grunt why wasn't it hawk why wasn't it captain gridiron no they picked grunt because he is i guess just a grunt the sunbow cartoon left og 13 grunt in a rather inescapable situation basically he's living in a parallel universe trying to fight a resistance movement against a cobra dominated world like that's some pretty heavy shit, and he's not coming back from that any time soon. Or is he? I don't know. They made it seem pretty fl- frivolous at the end of Worlds Without End. Like, oh, the gateway's still there, right where we left it. But oh, it's closing, so let's jump through it. Like, I don't know if there was ever any likelihood of being, being able to return there. It seemed like Flint was pretty pretty adamant that uh, they'd never, never be able to see their friends again. Mm. But anyways... Flash forward a couple of years, and Grunt's back, and badder than ever. 
in the comic books they wrote him out as a soldier who basically left the G.I. Joe team to get his degree in engineering. And that's quite an uplifting story that a soldier can be part of this elite counter-terror team and then still go on to have a life outside of the army. What Grunt version 3 represents, however, is a disillusionment with society that the kind of camaraderie that he experienced as a G.I. Joe member, he could never find in the working world. And as a result, he cannot function in society. Even though engineers are probably one of the only job markets that are not saturated, he did not like the work. He wanted to get a rifle in his hands and get back in a foxhole with his brothers in arms. Like, that's quite a dark but very, very realistic story of a human's need for for brotherhood, for camaraderie, for kinship, that in the dog-eat-dog corporate commercial world, there was no place for Robert Graves. He was institutionalized. And Grunt version 3 represents that anger. He's got the shouty mouth. He's got the flat top. He's got the banana pants. He clearly works out way too much. And his extremely taut brown bomber jacket, which is zipped way, way low to show off his pecs and rolled up way, way high to show off his guns. I mean, this guy's hitting the gym probably two and a half hours every day. He's big. And you'd almost uh, <laughs> you'd almost say he has a pretty grave situation. But in spite of all because of all And personally I had this figure as a child, loved it intensely, someone took it, it disappeared. I was well pissed about that. Got a second chance to buy him, and I think he is one of the only Joe figures that I, as a child, uh, had and lost and bought again. I mean, this is something that I very seldom did. I have to have really liked this figure. It had to have really left an impression for me to want to get him again. And Grunt is such a figure. But he's not the definitive Grunt. Oh. by very definition grunt is just one of the guys one of the green guys he's a soldier in the field he's an infantryman he's a grunt this kind of standout characterization steals him away from being this everyman from being a grunt from being the avatar of gi joe so I'd say anything that is not just an OG-13 green team, simple BDU grunt is going to find a hard time being called definitive in spite of what they did for him. Like this figure that I hold in my hand right now, being the V3, is not grunt. It's something else. No, he's a grunt. He's a stand-in for the audience. That's why they brought him back. You know, he's the—he's what every person in the audience wants to be. That's why he has the name of grunt. He's—he's he's the every man. He's the every person in the audience that wants to be 
that character wants to be part of the G.I. Joe team. Of course, every person wants to be able to come back to it. You, why would you ever leave this team? You want to be able to fight terrorism forever. You, me, we are all Grunt. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, I don't know. I guess my adult sensibilities tend towards our Grunt being clad in green. I don't like the concept of the Steel Brigade. I like the concept of us being Grunt version 1. My god. All ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so we're split down the middle, boys. Right. Oh. But in the end, these are all, you know, the choices we made there, that's the definitive scope for us. Hmm. But I mean, I, th- I think we'd be amiss if, if, we, if we, we didn't mention a very, very strong opinion at this point right now before we move on. Hooded Cobra Commander 788 um, did, a, did a review of, uh, of uh, 90s Grunt. And he very strongly, very, very strongly hates this version. <laughs> like, uh, from top to bottom, inside and out, he, he despises him, like, a lot. I, I can't get that across enough. <laughs> Go and watch the video, um, and you'll understand. Um, he stands, he sits, he smashes the table to pieces, um, because this is not grown for him. Um, so I can kind of understand where Stephen's coming from, you know, um... This this version of Grant does not represent the everyman, the every person. While, you know, in my mind, I think he does. He represents what we all, as kids, would like to be. We'd like to be that exceptional soldier. But I get where HCC 788 is coming from, and possibly where Steve is coming from, too. I, I feel like V3 should have, like, a pack of smokes in the uh, sleeve or something. Yeah. That would have brought Steven over to our side. <laughs> I, it, it just comes also, down to go grease it just comes down to burn up the quarter mile. Well, look to be honest, his his getup looks very motor pool to me. Mm. Like after spending time uh, getting his engineering degree at Georgia Tech, he's come back and he's now not only an infantry squad leader, but also has some technical expertise when it comes to like operating the bridge layer or or building a bridge yeah or the general like, mm. he could be a combat engineer it's a pity that mm. they didn't add that to his list of specialties uh because gosh i mean just looking over his previous file cards like at least between version one and version two that being the falcon glider uh they just keep adding like <laughs> just add another specialty to his list of secondary specialties like and... it doesn't work like that man you gotta pick two be disciplined about it <laughs> And one one that they totally left out, or maybe it was unimportant, that he can grow his hair back. I mean, here's a man that's got a, a receding hairline of note, and the face like that, and he somehow reconstructed himself to be version three Grunt. Oh, so wow. really, yeah, right. And I uh, suppose the real it's question painted is painted on, dude. It's a wig. <laughs> it's, uh, like this, you know, that box top is just too 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 crisp. Late night infomercial. <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> you just have to ask yourself, do you need a grunt who screams, or do you need a grunt that's going to help the Goonies find pirate treasure? You know, that's <laughs> that's what it comes down to. <laughs> it's, also, oh God, that's funny. it's also worth mentioning he's from Columbus, Ohio. I believe we got allies in that sector. Uh, shout out to Plastic Battles, who's killing it in the tweets. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, Strident, who's always lurking. Yeah, man. What's up, gents? Hey Paul, hope your hope your panel went well. 
Yeah, I just oh. saw Plastic Battle's um, uh, picture that made me like Battle Force 2000 for at least a whole 30 seconds. Uh, he posted something cool on Instagram. Wow. Uh, yeah, a whole bunch of dead bats and a, a maverick. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And then my brain kicked in. It's like, it's still a Battle Force 2000 figure, but it looks cool. So, <laughs> yeah. So oh, you. with the 2000s, we're talking the 90s. And in this section, no, 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 90s. we're going to talk about the best things to come out of the 90s. Boys, hold me down, because I could go on Oy. forever. But instead, we're going to be disciplined about this. Each one of us is only going to pick three things. Three things that made the 90s G.I. Joes the best toys ever. Totally rad. T- top three Three toys. things. Three things. Three toys that made the uh, nine GI Joes in the nineties better, or three GI Joe things that made GI Joe in the nineties great. Ooh. Ooh. Three GI Joe things. Products. Yes. Anything. Yes. Whatever you yes. select, there could be GI Joe branded shades that you happen to have. But Just if it's clearing 90s, that up for our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So. Talk to me, boys. Your uh, top three G.I. Joe items. Should we go one for one or all three in one burst? I think we might align on several of these, so let's go one for one. And if someone else is grabbing your fave, you can chime in with uh, some, some, some tag team action. Some knowledge. Cool. Mm. Well, then I, I've just got to say the video game. The, bam, Nest, the G.I. Joe Nest video game. Boom. One and two. I cannot separate them from each other. The G.I. Joe video games are one of the best things to happen to 90s G.I. Joe branding. Totally. Hmm. And to fans that, that, that uh, this video game event might have passed by, why was it such a cool thing? It was one of the raddest, most bodacious things ever because, firstly, uh, by the time I actually got to play these games, uh, I played the first one while G.I. Joe was still kind of on the shelves. Actually, no, that's a lie. I played the second one uh, when when G.I. Joe Talking Battle Commanders were on the shelves, um, and I played the first one a, a little bit after that. So this was my, for me personally, this was my way of, Playing with Joes without having Joes, you know, like like as I was getting to that phase, a lot of my Joes were thinning out. Um, you know, my toys were getting stolen or broken or taken apart and made into other GI Joes. So the GI Joe video game kind of added to this mythology of GI Joe. So it made GI Joes cool again for me in a lot of, in a in a lot of ways. And and today it still does. It has a killer soundtrack, uh, which to, to this date I think we all love on the show. Um, oh, I'm just the most unoriginal uh, sound designer, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what conjures up G.I. Joe and cool retro gaming? Yeah, that sound. That's what it does. Yeah, that sound. But on top of that, you got to use some of G.I. Joe's baddest. Um, you know, like you got to use Snake Eyes twice. You got to use Storm Shadow you could use Dork. Uh, I need to call him Dork. <laughs> you got to use Duke twice. It made me, uh, you know, long for my wetsuit uh, figure uh, using wetsuit and Atlantis Factor. It added more credence uh, to Hawk, to both Jetpack Hawk and uh, Talking Battle Commanders Hawk. The game just did so much for me 
in terms of just fleshing out and giving these characters a whole new life. Uh, and it gave me a whole new perspective on Cobra as a bad guy, you know, how they operate, some of the mad stuff that they have. Bearing in mind, folks, that the cartoon exposure for all of us, with the exception of Cujo, was very limited. So for me, at least, this is this was filling in the blanks. This is giving me an almost darker G.I. Joe story than G.I. Joe was. Obviously, I'm ignoring the comic when I mention this. But, yeah, like, it's a great thing to have. And if you don't ever intend on collecting any of the toys ever again, but you still love G.I. Joe, then I'd say go and pick up the video games. It also made one really long day at Sun City turn into one really awesome day when we found the arcade cabinet. Oh at my the Sun goodness. City Arcade. Well, now you're mentioning God, three G.I. Joe video Yo, games. Yo, shit, yes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but it is the weakest game of the three, to be fair. So, And that's the one that is a forward-scrolling shooter, which, to its credit, does showcase a hell of a lot of equipment, personnel... And beautifully True. rendered as well. Great cutscenes featuring the Sky Raven of all things. Oh man, mm. so cool. Uh, and all readily available toys of the time. You got Alley Vipers, Laser Vipers, Fang 2s, Hurricanes, the Hammerhead features prominently, as does Destro. Okay, they had to pluck a purple Baroness out of the annals of history because, damn it, Hasbro, you never gave us another Baroness figure. What a missed opportunity. Even if you just repressed the original one. Like, we were denied in the 90s having another Baroness. Mm. But yeah, that game was too cool. But the NES platformers are still, to a Joe fan, they are a must. I mean, to your average platformer, retro gamer, maybe skip it. (laughs) It is an imitator. But... It is the only opportunity a G.I. Joe fan has to take control of a small team of Joes and use them in the fight against Cobra, against Night Vipers, Rock Vipers, Night Creepers, Cobra Sea Rays, Fangs, Mambas, Bazbors, Bugs, it's all Pogos, Overlord's Dictator, (laughs) Enemy Battlecopters, like... Raptor. It's just a <laughs> we can beautiful opportunity to do something that was very novel. And this is what really captivated me as a child. And I suppose it captivated absolutely everyone who was enamored with the G.I. Joe toy line and then had the privilege of playing this video game, or these video games, is all of a sudden your playthings were realized in a video game. Now, I often would take my toys and after playing a video game at a friend's house, would get them out and and try and emulate the gameplay. There was a Jurassic Park video game, for instance, <laughs> which was a top-down, uh, I suppose it was like a jungle crawler. Uh, yeah, a top-down exploration adventure situation thing. After yeah. playing this video game, I got my dino riders out and tried to emulate that gameplay. The sort of Did somebody say of- dino riders? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't make me regret it. So, I would try and emulate that gameplay. The same was true of any number of cool video games. Like, I wouldn't try and emulate Mario Brothers because, you know, that's Mario Brothers. But like Ninja Gaiden, for instance. I'd get my Ninja Force figures out and try and emulate that. But with G.I. Joe, 
the translation was immediate. It was like, but I've got a battlecopter. Rad. Now I'm Captain Grinine. I'm commandeering this Cobra battlecopter. You know, it just breathed so much more exuberance and life into my playtime. Because all of a sudden, action became driven and, and primary. You know, whereas <clears throat> toy time can often be bogged down in, in, in setting the scene or setting up the game. With a video game fresh in your memory, you're like, it doesn't matter what the context is. I'm just going to grab three Joes, set up some Cobras, and have those three Joes rush this scenario and just fight their way through it. And it doesn't matter. It's just as exciting as a platformer having your joe jump from tabletop to the back of the couch to the bookshelf down to the ground all the while running and gunning this was something that just uh, spoke to me on such a primal level it was like yes steven it's a okay to play with your toys again and b this is how you want to play with them this is how you keep your playtime exciting and interesting and colorful you just go for it don't hold back. Don't sit with one guy, like, figuring out what gun would best suit him. Just put together your map and then crush it. All guns blazing. Crush so, it. Yes. The NES games that debuted in 1991 and 1992, absolutely part of 90s goodness that really rocked our socks. I've got to say, I mean, like, <laughs> like the cartoons, I have no experience with the video games. I think I've I've watched Steven play it a lot more than I've ever played it myself. But I, I can see the appeal. It's something... Maybe I'm saving it for like a really rainy day when I have nothing else to do. I'll start playing it. <laughs> but my experience oh, yeah. of it... <laughs> my experience of it and my understanding of it... Um, I would also probably rank it as one of the top three things. Not just because of how cool it is in itself, but the fact that it... Yeah, it's a G.I. Joe video game. What we've we've gotten what like maybe like a mobile game after that after the which was fun, which was fine, but it's not it's not like these games like the the music doesn't mm. compare and they've never tried to innovate. I mean I think we yeah we did an episode once where we tried to like put together our like ultimate awesome ideas for like our you know GI Joe video games mm. and you know those, those are pies in the sky dreams that I mean I, I video game developers aren't going to throw money at a at a GI Joe game I don't think ever again but like Taxan they they did a really cool job with with you know with 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 the the license the branding um and I would totally agree um that these games are a lot of fun and they're pretty cool I see a sprite from one of these games and I get kind of giddy with excitement <laughs> it's just so beautifully presented all of it so so good and as I say unremarkable to a, a, a the run of the mill platformer vintage uh, or retro gamer fan but to a gi joe fan oh oh man oh man hits me right in the feels boys uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Touch>. <laughs> i'm gonna throw one into uh. the mix and this uh i i've mentioned it on the show before but it is truly one of the high points of 90s gi joe goodness that's the Ghost Striker X-16. Hmm. Holy shit. How did this thing what avoid my radar for so long? I guess it didn't. Yeah. I saw it in catalogs, but I was like, oh man, it's just a flashlight. No, it's a beautifully presented F-16 
with a feature that you can either ignore or use, but it's not bad at all. Whereas similar vehicles of that era, you'd press a button, it would do a light thing and a sound thing and then switch off and you'd be like, oh, lame. What do I do? Press it again? No, the Ghost Striker stays active for four and a half minutes if you don't use the uh, firing mechanism. So it's got accurate, well, <laughs> for that era, I suppose, accurate flying sound effects. It's got cockpit lights. It's got nav lights. It fires projectiles. It also has two red lights that engage projectiles. It projects targets, but also can project a blank target reticle. It has a two-seater cockpit, which is terrific. And that cockpit is very, very well detailed. There are straps, sculpted straps on the seats. There are control banks everywhere. The side stick looks to be molded, but not molded poorly, like just like a, I don't know, plastic spike, like so many G.I. Joe joysticks. Mm. It's actually a pretty bang-up job and comes with the best ace figure for my money. Flexible rubber hose that is a two-part, well, yeah, his helmet has... Check the tape. Yeah, check Mm -hmm. the tape. I already said it. I said it many times. (laughs) Brilliant. Love it. Only discovered it's in the flesh as an adult. And, man, where you been all my life? I think it's my favorite G.I. Joe jet. Them's big words from Steven's mouth. (laughs) Cujo, you got any 90s love that uh, you want to share, brother? Well, it seemed like a lot of the, the bullet points we had for this conversation dovetailed a little bit, but but I do I do love the things that you fleshed out. Uh, I'll I'll say that the, the one of the cool things about the GI Joe video games is that was the dawn of you know video games that could project personality that kind of thing. So I mean like we went from figures to screen. Whereas, like, nowadays, people are playing games on their phone, and then you hand them a figure, and they don't know what to do with it, you know? Mm. So, I think that that, I mean, that's that's one for the books, just because it won't happen again. It was it was pretty cool. It, it offered a different dimension, and now we love chiptune music, as you know, so. Mm. I'll, I'll also go as far as to say that uh, not only is the G.I. Joe video game a great G.I. Joe game, but it's also a very good example of how a licensed property can be brought into a different medium and be very good quality-wise, like be exceptionally good, actually, quality-wise. When so many games on the NES at the time, either preceding G.I. Joe or succeeding G.I. Joe, were movie tie-ins that were absolute rubbish, uh, that were really, really shit games, I'm not even going to go into a list of them, um, but there were so many licensed products. Even in today's video game world, most video game to movie tie-ins or video game to animated series tie-ins tend to be subpar. Whereas uh, Steve mentioned before, uh, he may he said that as a platformer, it's fairly average. I would say that as far as NES games go, GI Joe if it wasn't branded as G.I. Joe, it would still be an interesting and fun platform action game um, that can stand on its own two feet. But anyway, and then also with the Ghost Striker... It wouldn't be Noah and and, and the Flood. <laughs> Remember that yeah, NES game? Oh, Sorry. God, yeah. 
Yeah, no, exactly. But exactly, my point exactly. And um, also just harking back to some eight, uh, eight bit, you know, awesomeness. The Ghost Strikers jet sounds and um, firing sounds are very similar to the Top Gun game that was on the NES. You know, it it has it definitely has that eight bit quality to its sound effects, which immediately endeared me to the the Ghost Striker once I pressed some of its buttons. Because <laughs> yeah, I also I had the same opinion of the Ghost Striker originally in that it was just a flashlight with a jet on it and a handle stuck up its butt. But yeah. It's a great, great toy. Anyway, carry on, Cooch. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, you're good, brother. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'll, I basically have like a tour through the '90s uh, of Joe figures, which I'll go into uh, when I get to my time, well, unless it is my time, and then, and then I'm going. I think <laughs> throw something into the pot, man. Take your time. It is your time. Have a time. It's our time, gentlemen. I would say that when I'm when I'm thinking about the '90s, I I'll, I'll start with the first three years, uh, just because artwork is so important to GI Joe for me. I think in '85, '85, '86, we lost the original GI Joe explosion, and that that's a curious one, uh, design aesthetic, just because. I can't tell if it's nostalgia or just that explosions are the best way to convey action or, or if it's the best way to do the relief behind the figures. But when you get to the 90s, we're already in the analog explosions, if that makes any sense. When it gets to the analog explosion, then I really start thinking design aesthetic with G.I. Joe. And I think that they're, real, they're still trying to recapture how to do that. But the figures that jumped out at me, I'll start out in 1990. You look at that lot, and there's there's some names that come to mind. Uh, obviously, Saw Viper, because all the uh, comic emotions that come with that character. You got characters like uh, Metalhead, who's kind of Destro's answer to Scrap Iron, who I know is a, a group favorite. And, and and he's got some some pretty cool kind of Kevin Smith looking features. So, um, as as I go down that list, I'll, I'll pose this question now while I'm still chatting the 90s, or I'm sorry, 1990. But we all have love for Undertow. Um, I will pose this question to all of you, and that is change one color on his costume to make it work for you. Um, I'll come back to that in a few seconds. When it comes to the best card art for me in the 1990, I have to go to Sonic Fighters. Um, and when, when we talk about the, the explosion or lack thereof on card art. Sonic Fighters works for me because it's still a bit of randomness. You got the sound waves coming out. So mm. I like that. It's kind of radiating. Um, and I'm going to go with uh, the Viper, Sonic Fighter Viper card art. Um, <laughs> and this is one that I would like to bring to, to, to Plastic Battle's attention just because this picture is awesome. I mean, this dude's totally ripped. He's rocking like a gold M16 or, or whatever that gun is. It's just, it's just a great, the great lighting, everything about it works. Um, Lamprey is much, much the same, but he's not rocking as much gold. Um, and so I, I guess we'll circle back to Undertow. Steven, change one color on his outfit to make him work for you. Green to black. Mm. 
That's a lot of black, though, at center mass. I guess I'm trying to close the gap between him and an eel. Oops. Can't be done. I can totally be done. <laughs> I'm just okay. waiting for my turn. <laughs> I can roll with that. Robert, which which direction are you taking him? Hmm. I think I'd probably be taking him closer to um, the, those awesome dudes with the weird hands. Oh, Hydro Vipers. Yeah, Hydro Vipers. <laughs> Maybe change the uh, the gray to purple. Kind of make them, them more garish. But like a really deep purple. Rob's such a rebel. <laughs> I can't help it. Because I think that's more Is that you, Robbie? like deep uh, depths. Yeah, you know, like like a deep purple. It'll, be, it'll kind of like make him not stand out so much. Mm. Like I, I like okay. the red accents. Um, I'd keep those. Uh, I, uh, I don't actually hate this color, uh, this figure's color scheme. Yeah, for the record, I think Cooch, you're the only one who truly takes offense to the the red and green being present on that figure. No, it it is a bit jarring though. Well, Cooch and Rob then. <laughs> it's not something I actually really paid much attention to when I had the toy. I mean, it's almost like the green didn't exist for me. If that makes sense. And I'm not colorblind, so before you folks think so. Um, it wasn't, it was never a problem. If I was asked to change anything on this toy, I would change all of the green to a darker gray. Not black per se, but gray, just to give it a bit more dimension. Um, and to fit in with the more of a wetsuit aesthetic and to link it back to the eels. But that's if I was hard-pressed to do so. Yeah. I'm going to put it on record yeah. that uh, I don't think any of our suggestions are stronger than what they went with oh. in his original palettes. <laughs> I, I quite like the contrast. Gives him some visual intrigue. I know you autistic boys like that uh, term. <laughs> we sure do. But also, uh, Devil's Advocate as well. Most photography I've seen for the undertow tends to make him brighter than he actually is. And in hand, that burgundy and that green is quite a bit darker. I've heard um, you say those words. <laughs> um, I, I I don't really have... I mean, I was a question. I would go baby blue just because green and baby blue pops, but I know how you feel about that. My That's turn. all I got for 1990. Does anybody else have anything they want to comment about that set before we move on to 91? No, 1990 has one of... Uh, I feel one of G.I. Joe's coolest um, mysteries at least for the G.I. Joe book team, or at least for G.I. Joe fans in South Africa. And that, of course, is the general. The general represents, uh, in a lot of ways, it represents the last big-ticket uh, G.I. Joe item that G.I. Joe book doesn't own in any part. But for the longer, uh, for at least for this G.I. Joe fan, uh, it has held a lot of uh, like sort of mystery and intrigue for, for myself because... It has always been larger than life, but as long-listening fans can attest to, I enjoy nooks and crannies in G.I. Joe vehicles. And I recently got a whole bunch of photos of a G.I. Joe general sent to me, or of the general sent to me. And this thing is laden with really awesome little spots to, to hide Joes in. And and it's, it is a base on wheels. It's It's not quite the MCC. It's not quite... It's not quite the MCC. <laughs> um, I wouldn't even say it's a base on wheels. It's more like a wall on wheels. It's so it does appear wide. that way. Where do you drive these things? No, I I, I I hear that loud and clear. But 
there is something about it that makes it very interesting. It's got a very um, space marine quality to it that really helps it stand out. I mean, after this, G.I. Joe doesn't do anything quite as grand as the general. And it is definitely something I think I need to consider adding to my collection or something I think G.I. Joe Berg needs to add to its collection uh, because it looks like a lot of fun. Plus, it comes with a locust, man. <laughs> the locust is one of the best things in the 90s. Easy. <laughs> Not in the oh. 1990s, like the 90s. <laughs> the whole 90s, yeah. Okay, which so, one tops out better? The general or the MCC? Uh, shit, still the MCC for this boy. Uh, gotcha. But I'm madly in love with that vehicle, so it's very, it's 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 very difficult for me to be uh, uh, objective about the two. I'm so, not asking for objectivity, my brother. Subjectivity, hell yeah, MCC all the way. Um, but I can only see the general making the MCC cooler. I mean, can you imagine having an MCC and a general? That's like, that's that just makes a really amazing GI Joe base in its own right. But yes, MTC. Mm-hmm. The general could even be the part of the defiant that they just didn't decide to put into the box. You know, like the part, like the thing that actually tows the, the, the defiant, if you know what I mean. You know, the 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 launch complex. You know, one could even look at it that way. Anyway. Enough of that foolishness. I I I got to go with the MCC just because of your desert sand crawler review of it, which was beautiful and informative. Uh, but that brings us to the 91 series, if you gentlemen want to go there. Oh, take us there. Gliders. Make it so. Helicopters. And let's talk about theaters of war. And and for me, in 91, if you're on a budget, you got to grab two figures. I think you got to go with Desert Scorpion and Dusty B3. And there's no mystery why here, but I, I, do, I will pose a question. Sunset Gentlemen, guns out. <laughs> indeed, and hopefully sunscreens out. But let's go with these two gentlemen are put against each other in battle, as they likely would be. Their card art actually indicates who wins the battle. If you gentlemen want to check that over, uh, I'll return back to you, and you can tell me who won and why. Fair enough. Hmm. It sounds like an interesting challenge. Oh, but I will. Um, I'll and entertain your notion. <laughs> I will finish with 91 with the award for the 90s Cobra figure who's most likely to fit in with your original Cobra figures. Any guesses there? A 91 Cobra figure that would fit comfortably with your other Cobra figures. Liz of your, Oh, no, that's not 1991. Your old school Cobra figures. <laughs> I, can th- I can think of one so far. And by the way, <laughs> yo, Joe, drinks are on us. Great side. <laughs> oh, interrogator, bro. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna second that. <laughs> Look at Steven. Yeah. Look at Steven. Um, no, but the, in, interrogator is one of those sorely underused characters. If any Joe comic creators out there are, are listening, he fits in great with the original characters. He has an incredible file card, which. If you want to gender bend a character, like that's a great character to have a baritone voice, and then you got like the Princess Leia reveal. Mm. I mean, it's that's anyway, that's a great character, and and I, I I want to run him down at some point. Someone who loves you. Yeah, I know. Let's go back to the desert. 
gentlemen, you've both peered over the cards. Folks at home, you're seeing these card arts. They both have pets. Who won this battle? I'm reading over it as we speak. Well, not the. Well, I'm just going solely based on the artwork. Oh. Oh, I see what you're talking about. I see it. I see it. Although. We've got Dusty with Sandstorm, who's a coyote, and Desert Scorpion, who you know, is with a desert scorpion. (laughs) A mutated giant desert scorpion. That's right. Such a shame that this figure didn't come with a snowboard. The, the desert scorpion I'm talking about. It's called a sandboard, <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. Yeah, well, sorry, I just wanted to just make it a bit more obvious, but yes, a sandboard. Totally rad. He is totally rad. Dusty's got a varied uh, history with the line. He's got the, the hat in the first edition with the, the cloth. And then he's got the guns out with the beret. And then eventually he's in the blue man group. I mean, someday we're going to have to talk about that. Uh, So two things. uh, Well, one of the main things on the Dusty card art, he's nine mil. uh, He's holding down the trigger. It's not firing. um, And it kind of looks like the slider's gone back or maybe it's about to go fully back like he's run out of ammo. So I can only imagine he's run out of ammo because he's killed the scorpion, the desert scorpion. But I, I don't. I feel that maybe that's not enough evidence. The gun is sculpted like that, in fact. Exactly okay. right. Barrel so there's extension. Oh, exactly. So there's not enough evidence to support it. So the only thing I can think of is that the scorpion is actually hiding between Desert Scorpion's legs, which is kind of a traditional posture for not traditional. It's kind of a a posture for a lot of animals when they get scared. They tend to go between the legs of you know the humans <laughs> that uh, that look after them. Like dogs typically do this. So it's possible, like, Dusty is about to win this because the Desert Scorpion is actually more reserved. He's hiding now between the Desert Scorpion's legs. So the Scorpion, yeah, that's that's the only way I can surmise it. I think the, the Desert Scorpion kind of looks more confident in, in, his, in his positioning. Like, you know, he's got this. He's actually firing at that moment in time. Well, Dusty is more, you know, kind of like he's done. I think he's rattling off his, his submachine gun. His sabers. Yeah. Steven, what say you? So you're go you're going for Desert Scorpion on this one, yeah? That's me. Okay. Hmm. Let me call up that Desert Scorpion card. Let's see what you scoundrels are talking about. He does have a, a very light touch on the top of that rifle. The Desert Scorpion, I think he could be holding it down because it might have a tendency to rise. Level up, yeah. Yeah. Or- hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I, yeah, it looks like a pretty mean submachine gun that he's got there. And I need one of these. Look at the size of those arms. Desert Scorpion and Dusty are definitely hitting the gym, as well as <laughs> version three Grunt. Um, that's something that I wanted to, wanted to mention as a strength of '90s GI Joes. Okay. No pun intended. Have pun very much intended. <laughs> the physique started getting bigger, sure, but the figures themselves were hardier. Most of my childhood Joes came from the 90s, and let me just tell you, not a single one of them has an elbow crack. My 80s Joes do, but my 90s Joes... Fair enough, but now, at this point in time, my 90s Joes are, as, are much older than my 80s Joes were when their elbows started cracking. 
So the mm-hmm. fact that I've got four 90s Joes on my table right now, all of them in immaculate condition, in spite of the action that they've seen throughout their playtime with me, which actually is more than my 80s Joes have, because a lot of them came from eBay. These guys are impressive in their hardiness, the sturdiness of their construction, materials, the ever so slightly more thicker parts. So power to them. You can chalk one up for the 90s on that score. But, but who I, I who wins that battle who, in the desert for you, though? Yeah, that's what I want to know. <laughs> Steven, who do you think wins? Is, is Desert Scorpion killing Sandstorm quickly before he wipes out... Uh, Dusty. I think they both wiped each other out. If they're close enough to be engaging with their submachine guns like that, full burst, it's... You know, the Desert Scorpion is shooting down at Dusty. Dusty's shooting up at the Scorpion. Uh, They both whip around uh, after taking taking some rounds. But since Dusty is not wearing any armor whatsoever, I don't think he's going to recover from his wounds. It's also possible they stormtroopering each other. The scorpion's got um, mouth protection. He's got protection <laughs> over his eyes. He's got what looks like a hard domed helmet. He's got a bit of armor covering his forearms. That's probably like just leather gauntlet. But all still, right, all a right. Glancing bullets will 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 <laughs> a glancing bullet will will not penetrate that. Um, and also he's got protection on his pectorals and shoulders. So yeah, he's he's taking it for me. Well, normally, the, the the character with the animal companion will always win, but they both have animal companions. You guys actually went a little more in depth than I thought you would. You know that beret trumps goggles, though. That's that's pretty much a rule in in, in GI Joe. But I, I think I think in this one, you have Sandstorm. Dusty has allowed nature to go in front of him. And when you put nature first, you always win. That's that's enough said. Ah, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But you you saw you saw that, Paul. We just quantified <laughs> it differently. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I I mentioned that whole thing. Although honestly, I don't think either of them is hitting each other at all because none of them are actually sighting their guns. They're just shooting from the hip, so to speak. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe they're just doing a little cactus dance. That takes us to 93, which is my last year. I only went to 93. I also only intend to go as far as 93 as well. Did we skip fact, 1992? Oh, no, we're on 92. I'm sorry. Well, I'll end with 92. Because that's when they started <laughs> They started getting real basic with the card art because everybody had those missile launchers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Except in 92, we do have some noteworthy things that have happened. And if you've been in Joburg, you've, you've heard me uh, break down about them. But you have V2 Firefly. Um, I won't say much about his design. We all have opinions yeah. on it. But I will say that it's a fail. It's probably the low point for me in the 90s if we're talking uh, the low points. Just because they didn't get him. His card art, he's like running towards the action. You always got to draw Firefly with his back turned to you. It's just it's just in the character. So there. actually, I got one more. And, and I hope we turn this into a whole conversation, what I'm about to mention. But, of course, you have the, the Drug Enforcement Force. Is that what it's called? <laughs> DEF Drug Elimination Force, yeah. Oh, thank you, brother. You know I get confused when it comes to that. Um, 
But uh, you have the only card art where somebody is drooling, and that's Headhunter. They must really want you to think that, like, when you're on drugs, you spin out or something. But Or, I'm sorry, Headman. Headman, yeah. Yeah, he's drooling on his card art. So I guess we'll just leave it at that. Great card art, but, yeah, that's the 90s for me when it comes to artwork in G.I. Joe. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't disagree with you there. Headman is also one of my lowest points, uh, at least in terms of uh, figure, like carded releases, uh, because like I said, he looks like the Hamburglar. It's just uh, there's a nice '90s reference for you kiddies out there. The Hamburglar. What happened to that guy? <laughs> yeah. As a subset, though, it did give us a eleventh hour, truly, truly immaculate figure, and that being the, the Headhunter Stormtrooper. Oh yes. A figure which uh, I've never really taken the time to track down because I know it commands awful prices. <laughs> uh, and I wouldn't really know how to integrate it. It's kind of a standalone guy. You could perhaps view it as a extension of the Alley Viper. In fact, a more fitting Alley Viper, a sort of urban assault troop. But yeah, the Stormtrooper is gorgeous with those spikes and the red, red eyes. Fantastic looking figure. Everyone agrees on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's he's very pimping though. He's he's got a very um, he's got a very 80s kind of aesthetic though. But after watching Cyborg uh, the other day, which is a terrific movie for our listeners, if you guys love uh, JCVD, Jean Claude Van Damme and you enjoy uh, very minimal dialogue in your films, uh, go and check out Cyborg. Yeah, uh, the Cyborg movie. Is, is brilliant. Everyone should it watch is it brilliant. at least once. At least once, if, if only, if you can mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> uh, the 90s have some interesting designs in their toys, or should I say an interesting design aesthetic. You've got toys here. You've got characters like Big Ben, which Steve mentioned earlier in the show, um, as... A quite an immaculately designed figure. He's got so much going for him, and then uh, he's got very little going. I like it's immaculate. Yeah, he's, it's simple, you know. Yo, that's the thing. But I mean, he's got he's got so much going for him in that he hasn't got a lot. Um, but what's there makes him stand out to be great. Uh, for me, another character like that is Ambush. Yes, Ambush comes with a lot of gear, but Ambush is also a fairly simple figure. And I remember when I first got Ambush, the biggest draw card for me was that he was quite realistically military, which was kind of unusual. And the uh, the, the accessory uh, in, that came with his card that actually got me thinking of this is his very World War II-like helmet. But then, you know, you've got this whole line and then you've got characters like Mercer, and then you've got very boring and very uninteresting characters like Tracker with an interesting pack-in, you know, kind of device. So the 90s were kind of, like, experimental in a lot of ways, but in a different way to how the 80s were. I mean, the 90s, they kind of went, well, here's all these ideas, or at least I think it went like this. They were like, here's all of these ideas we've had sitting in the back burner that maybe haven't been ready for mass market consumption, and we're kind of like making this last-ditch effort on the line so let's throw these things out there, you know. So you got and a Cobra Command neon, a whole oh. bunch of neon. So much That's neon. That's a design choice that I would like to engage with next, because we saw this wholesale shift towards vibrant colors, which, in some instances, I think were purely practical decisions, like mm-hmm. on a a very realistically colored jet like the Ghost Striker, 
you've got neon red missiles, which obviously is a decision for a vehicle that would see a lot of use firing its missiles off and you didn't want children to lose their missiles. This was a great idea in the era of spring-loaded missiles, particularly when your spring-loaded launches are quite powerful, as the Ghost Strikers, I'm very pleased to report, are. So, in that sense, it's great. The Hammerhead, for instance, has 14 non-spring-fired missiles, I mean, torpedoes, and I'm very grateful that they're neon green, because in all the years I've had a Hammerhead, I've never lost a single missile. So exactly. there are practical applications to the vibrant colors, but sometimes it's a design choice. And I would like you guys, if you can rack your brains, think of your favorite use of neon in the 90s. Oh, I was actually going to suggest the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm so glad. Where do you feel neon actually works in the line? Let's find some sympathy for the devil here. Yeah. Rob or Cujo, because you guys, I think, are quite ardently against uh, neon colors. I'd like to hear your thoughts first. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you want to take the early swings here? Ooh, neon. When when did it work well? I suppose the most obvious version that I can think of right now is but I I really think it works well with the eels. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> I mean, oh. it, and why is that? It's garish and it's out there and it it feels it, it feels so 90s that they kind of they've they've kind of like they've gotten rid of we don't have to hide anymore. We 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 we're, we're out there. We're terrorists. We're coming to get you, and we want you to know in your face. To get you. Yeah, in yeah. I, I your got, face. I got a crazy idea just now. I'm, I, I can't believe you brought up eels, but like, they need to release a recolored eels and call it the creature from the Cobra Lagoon, and just recolor <laughs> it. And oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Ah, oh, I'd love that. With the sort of quilted oh. sculpt that eels version two has. Interesting. That'd be fantastic. In fact, give it the swirly. Uh, like when you mix three batches of different colored plastics. Sorry, Robert. Look. No, it's it's good. It's good. I I I I honed in on um on the eels as the most prominent thing that I could think of that I liked neon colors so much that I picked them over the original version of eels, which are I think by most people's standards <laughs> the best version. <laughs> yeah, guys, I'm afraid your your tendencies are all over the map in that regard. I mean. Kujo loves grey Firefly, hates neon green Firefly, loves neon green sci-fi, hates charcoal grey sci-fi. Rob, you prefer well, one of those eel, dudes is trying to sneak around, man. Your yellow <laughs> eel, yeah. Well, I don't know, man. Okay, yeah, okay. So clearly, the enemy is not neon. No. The yeah. the enemy is how it's utilized. Yes. Doesn't mm. fit well with the character. So obviously sci-fi, you guys are like, yeah, I'm all for it. In terms of the eel, Rob's like, yeah, bam, give me a, a yellow highlighter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with, as my favorite use of neon in the 90s, Overkill. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, You're smashing golds and blacks and reds and neon green and a translucent green chest panel. It's all freaky. Like, it's very it's, raver. It's, it's out there, man. It's crazy. And it needs to be, yeah. Because he is a freaky, crazy creation. And quite rightly so in the Deke series, he's characterized as quite eccentric. He's got these existential crises. And the fact that he is completely destroyable 
and is a named character makes him in a category of one. Because you can't very well shoot the Baroness in the head, dismember her limb for limb, Mm -hmm. and then stick her back together again, reanimate her for the next episode. Whereas Overkill regularly comes up against this horrific fate. He's often (laughs) totaled beyond recognition, you know, pulled apart limb from limb, and put back together again, you know, it must take a toll on the poor guy's psyche because he does possess a sentient brain. Mm. So he is your destroyable, rebuildable character. They finally did it. Battle Android troopers weren't the answer because none of them were sentient. Mm. Very few of them were. I think there was one. Was there a Sunbow episode that dealt with a sentient bat? I don't know if it's Sunbow. I think it's actually Deke that has that. Uh, it might have been Overkill then. I bet. Overkill is... Uh, he's an interesting character, but a fantastic figure design. One of my faves. And I can't imagine him any other color other than neon. So, sorry, sorry. I just want to cap it off by saying that. Like, the neon works, because if you if you made him any other color, he wouldn't be that freaky, bizarre-looking creature. Yeah, he is quite a hodgepodge of not only design choices, but also color choices, which adds to his character, because like you said, his psyche is all over the place, like a puzzle. The green that makes him work, man. Mm. The fact that they carry it over with the green tubes that run into his legs, it's not just like, oh, here's a green lump of plastic occupying his center mass. No, it's integrated. It does pop up, and it really pops. (laughs) And does it. I got to say, for me personally, the best use of Neon in the 90s comes in the form of the Eco Warriors. You know, I know if you see now these figures are odd because if you see them in photographs, they seem more dull. But when you had them in hand, they're quite bright. Um, the colors used for the plastic on them is quite bright and the paint is very bright. So definitely Neon. But Eco Warriors being neon makes a lot of sense. It just goes with the whole um, branding, you know, the fact that they're fighting toxic waste and anything that's, you know, like radiation and all that stuff and and toxic waste is always represented visually as being very neon. Um, So I dig it. I love the Raver Joes and Cobras of the Eco Warriors. Um, And by extension, I know that this figure is hated for his color choices, but I actually love Supersonic Fighter's Road Pig being neon. Uh, I attribute the fact that I still have his giant machine gun to this day, because it's a neon orange machine gun, that uh, big thing with the two drums. I sadly don't have the toy anymore. But that was my introduction to Road Pig, and it was super, like, cheeseball to have him in those colors. Even though orange and green are not necessarily my favorite color combination in the world, it just is very sick, and I dig it. Uh, I dig it on Road Pig himself. So that that to me that that represents like some of the best uses of neon uh, for the '90s for this Joe fan. Mm. And and wetsuit. Sorry, like just before I go out, wetsuit. He's yellow and black. You know, it's like bright yellow and black. Yellow and black has always been a a, a bold color combination. Uh, but I I actually cannot deal with him being orange and black. I uh, I like him being yellow and black and. I can't really imagine him in other colors. Like, I'm sure you could actually take the time and make all of that yellow stuff a realistically colored, or you could give it a more realistic color choice. But I love that it's yellow and black. There's something so diver about it. 
to me, which is lost on me with the eels because Rob mentions that he loves the Cobra eel being neon. I won't say I won't go as far as to say that version two's eel that I love version two, uh, the Cobra eel version two's color choices. But at the same time, I'm remiss to find a color combination that I think works better. <laughs> you know, it seems to be very tied into the personality of the figure, or maybe it's just too tight. I'm too tied into the into the nostalgia of it. I tell you what, they look really cool in a rock pool. Mm. If you play with your mm. V2 eels on the the hammerhead sleds in like the ocean, it makes sublime sense. Oh, I saw those at your house. Yeah. See that color under the waves really makes them pop, man. So I would encourage you to take your V2 eels out and give them some action, man. Are we going to talk about whirlwind wank attack ninja force, or are we going to leave that for another episode? I do believe the object of this evening's episode was to hold up the best parts of the 90s up to the light. And Mm. while I definitely want to talk ninja force, that is a topic unto itself. I fully agree. I would hate to waste only five minutes on it. (laughs) What I think I'm going to close on, for me personally, is my favorite thing to emerge from the 90s. The Cobra Hammerhead. And if you need any further explanation, I would urge you to watch... The YouTube video that I posted on the Cobra Hammerhead shot right here in Cape Town on our very own Landadno Beach at sunset where I tell stories about my youth spent with this toy. It's a love letter to a toy that I've had since, since the beginning and it is such an important cornerstone of my collection and a reason for me to be a collector in the first place. Love that toy. One day I'll have one too. But you will not have the stories <laughs> to back it up. But I've got my own stories for the Hammerhead anyway, which I will hopefully get to share with you and our listeners in the future. You're such <laughs> a great tease, Paul. I am such a tease, but I just want to say I've put Steven's Hammerhead in my bath before, and I played with it in my bath oh as my an adult. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> adult great playing. Fun. In the bath. With a hammerhead. Oh, God. Poor hammerhead. It wasn't in there with my balls at the same time. Let's just, uh, I just want to oh, put that out there. Okay, I, I have respect for Steven's hammerhead. When it's my <laughs> hammerhead, my hammerhead can play in the same bath as my balls. That's fine. Yeah, Moving right along. He kept his balls up, but he might have dipped his wick. Uh, <laughs> I wonder who was riding shotgun. <laughs> I'm going to be a basic B on this one. I, I think that just... The comic readers can't stand Saw Viper. Like, his fuchsia is great to see on a battlefield because you're like, that dude's mine. You know, so he's, uh, yeah, he's still hated. Uh, I like his purple, or his uh, fuchsia. Fuchsia, yeah. Yeah, they introduced a lot of new Vipers in the 90s um, that I think are definitely mainstays of the line, and Saw Viper is definitely one of them. Another great one would be Range Viper with the kind of his his skull looking head. Oh um, wow, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not with an included machine gun, Paul. You don't start there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> to those listeners who don't get the joke, uh, in one of our very first podcast outings, 
we were discussing our favorite accessories and Paul went on and on waxing lyrical about a machine gun that allegedly came with Range Viper, which was the best machine gun in the line. Um, <clears throat> Range Viper doesn't come with a machine gun. He's no, he doesn't. bullet belts, but he don't got no gun. Whoops. So, Whoops. looking at this picture of Sub-Zero in Mark Bellamo's guide, I now know where that machine gun comes from. <laughs> you know what? I did exactly the same thing. I was like, mm. he, he's got bullet belts, he's got no machine gun. Sub-Zero's gun comes with a gold plastic bullet belt, all too similar to the Range Viper's sculpted parts. Just marry the two, man. Busted. Uh, yep, and then Range Viper sees a lot more action than an Arctic figure in South Africa. <laughs> uh, Rob brought up a very good point now, just with regards to the 90s. Uh, he mentioned uh, the array of Cobra Vipers and assortments, rather, of Cobra Vipers that came through in the 90s. So I like to see that as a conceptual thing. Are there any other great conceptual things uh, to come out of the 90s that you guys like, just like conceptually? So just to get us, uh, just to get us off on the right sort of foot, I'm going to start off with, with two things that I think conceptually are great things to have come out of the 90s, at least 90, 1990 to 1993. I'm going to start with what exactly what Rob said: uh, the assortment of vipers. There are so many great Viper or Cobra releases in the 90s. Some of my favorites include the Night Creeper, the Laser Viper, previously mentioned Range Viper, and of course the Rock Viper. I mean, how amazing are those toys? And they are purely a product of the 90s in a lot of ways. And another thing, and you guys are going to laugh at me, but I kind of like talking toys. I love that. G.I. Joe never integrated the talking mechanism in the actual figure itself and rather opted to put it in a backpack that could be removed if you were brave enough to take a screwdriver to it. But uh, I love that the talking um, battle commanders and I love Sonic Fighters. I think it's a great concept. It added something to it. It gave toys uh, a voice that I had never heard before uh, because I had heard talking Stalker and Hawk before I'd seen the cartoon, I think. So... It was great to hear him say, Blitzem! And then, you know, my South African brain turned it into Blixem. You know, things like that. <laughs> I think those are two concepts that came from the 90s that I absolutely love. To our international listeners, Blixem means to punch him. Yeah, to, like, beat something. <laughs> yeah, beat it. Yeah. I'll take your word well, for it. <laughs> well, I'll wrap up my, my, my tops with... So, video games was, was, was definitely one of them. Um... It's a it's a good introduction to the G.I. Joe mythos, mythos, my mythos, and one that I've probably talked about a lot before is the Cobra Rage. I I struggled to find mm-hmm. good vehicles, at least personally, when I looked through these these four or five years of G.I. Joe, and I was like, oh cool, Cobra Rage definitely came under the '90s, so well done. Um, <laughs> and then my other top three, my my last of my top three, like you have lots of figures who have guns i mean they, they shoot bullets at people um i mean that's pretty devastating if people with, i mean spring-loaded missile launches rockets just firing those off lasers cutting people to pieces um you have guys with machetes and you know like flamethrowers lay weapons well, lacrosse sticks f- funny you mentioned flamethrowers but like i think a flamethrower is probably one of the most horrific and adult weapons you can actually give a toy um, and that's where I think the incinerator comes in for me. <laughs> um, 
I remember getting this figure and I was like, wow, what a cool looking bloody figure. <laughs> um, I mean, he's, he's, he's very, he's, he's neon, but I mean, it kind of works with these kind of orange and, and silver accents. And his, um, his, you know, his really cool red, um, like, faceplate, which is, mm. it's brilliant. It just, it, he looks absolutely amazing. Just, you just, it just all comes together in a really great figure. Reminiscent of those guys in the black hole. I don't know if you know the film. Oh. Jeez, mm. I had the pleasure of watching that two years ago. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, and and his equipment is is it's pretty standard. Okay, he comes with like a stupid um, grenade launcher, <laughs> which I mean a lot of the figures you know in in ninety one etc came with. But then like he comes with a flamethrower, which I mean is is a weapon that that's kind of repeated across the line from now on. You know, it comes in 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 in, in uh, weapon trees. But like I think his is the original one like that. It's silver and he comes with a ba- black backpack, which which is definitely you know. A, giant fuel tank that he carries around and just like flame throwing it's 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 such a it's a crazy concept i think on the on, on the battlefield you're walking around just burning people to death and that's yeah that's pretty hectic to me um no, it is hectic <laughs> that, that's a very very adult addition to the to the you know to the cobra ranks of the incinerators yeah so that's that's my 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 last top third Cobra Rage, Incinerators, and G.I. Joe video games. At least 91, 92, 93's rocket launchers or firing missile launchers weren't basic bitch firing launchers. You know, they did definitely try to be innovative with stuff as well. Um, just sorry, now that you mentioned the Incinerators napalm ball catapult situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe General Flag comes with one too. Was one, but it's not the same one, and that was cool. No, it's very um, different. I mean, it's like he's firing off like shells, you know, exactly. like um, yeah, like long-range firing shell things, like the thunderclap, almost. And eventually, it would it would devolve into everybody having weapons trees and pretty much the same basic bitch rocket launcher. I mean, I'm just I just flipped to a page now, and at least two characters have a retooled um, heat viper gun that's been turned into a rocket launcher i mean that kind of shit just that annoys me um, yes but but remember paul this is the everything is good about the 90s episode this yes isn't, yes uh, this isn't <laughs> this terrible isn't, things about yeah. the 90s um <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that i mean i i in, in my research for this episode i found a whole bunch of like really questionable things about the 90s but then you know there's questionable things about the 80s too but yeah and while deke is shrouded in questionable stuff I will say this much in defense of it. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay, yes, it, it does it does get some yucks for perhaps the wrong reasons. Such as Dude. the greatest has gotta be Captain Gridiron and his football references. And I don't know Jack about American football. So perhaps Kujo can enlighten us on Go for it. what what the hell Captain Gridiron is saying when he says, Metalhead's coming in with a safety blitz, and I'm going to get sacked. Or, nice pass, Rush guys, but it looks like you over-pursued. And my favorite, it's fourth down and long, but if Suzanne's going for it, so am I. Oh, if, if you got a safety blitz coming, you got to check down to a a, a, a swing route out of the backfield. But 
Bless you. Less sense to you now. Yeah, you cleared it up. <laughs> well, dude, I I played I played American football in college, so yeah, I I got a couple hours. So fourth fourth down and long. What's fourth down and long? I'm assuming that's like the last quarter, and they they have to like go real deep into the field to be able to get the oh, ball you, over you the had, line. You had you had to bring up football since it's broken my heart the last couple of years. But oh. uh, just in, just in case, just in case you guys weren't aware, an extra point after a touchdown is 33 yards. Um, well, but fourth and long would be anything over like fourth and 10, 10 to 15 yards. That's that's fourth and long. Uh, so they're trying to cover a very big distance. Yeah, that's basically like if we're gonna, you know, if you're gonna go, then go big. Like, like don't try anything safe because you're out of moves. Okay, so fourth and long. Okay, because I always thought fourth and long was when, uh, you know, you're ready for action. She's ready for action, but you're all out of condoms. So you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're fourth and long with uh, whatever else, and you know, so you want you want action, but you. You can't unless you want a new player. So. Well, yeah, m- most people just go on the naked blitz on that one and just hang it <laughs> in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch that. Uh, watch that. Zero blitz. Yep. And okay, but seriously, one of the uh, great virtues of the Deke series is that it's very faithful to presenting actual toys. Sunbow. Animators, designers would tease us. They'd often portray the action uh, involving vehicles and equipment that you could not buy. You would long for, but you could never have. Deke, however, really pushed the toys. And that's okay by me. Because I like the fact that every time a Joe bails out, he's wearing a backpack that deploys into a glider. I'm like, yes, that's great. I love that. Mm. It makes me want to buy a G.I. Joe Air Commander glider. I'm like, yes, please, sell me more toys. Then you remember it's a glider. And Deke also made me want to get my old battlecopter out. In fact, it made me want to get an unbroken battlecopter because uh, here's the sad story of my battlecopter. You know, most people say their battlecopters didn't fly well. Well, mine flew bloody well. It flew too well. It flew so damn high that when it came crashing down, the the ring that protects the blades snaps. Okay? So then I've got this kind of like weird sort of whip-around, half-snapped ring. So as it, as I pull the ripcord out, it goes... And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it creates a lot of resistance. And of course, it flies very awkwardly from that point onwards. So then I think, okay... To hell with this. I'm snipping the damn thing off. Not really realizing in my sort of nine-year-old brain that the thing's there for a reason. To basically give the rotor blades additional strength to survive impacts. So I send this thing flying off at top speed without that ring and crack off the rotor blades when it comes down to earth. So, I mean, oh, jeez, what a disastrous toy. It's just... It was never hardy enough to do what it set out to do. But somehow the, the, the Deke propaganda series, it still makes you want to get one now. Well, now I would take better care of it. I'm not going to fly the damn thing. I'm going to actually enjoy it. I'm going to whiz it around my room while playing the, the NES 
Texan video game theme tune when you commandeer one of those things. Hmm. Mm. That's why I want the Cobra one. I gotta get the Cobra one. I've got the Joe one. I want the Cobra one. You know, with the inverted tail and the, the controls that come up from underneath. Nice. So Deke make you want it. Yep. <laughs> you want Deke. Wait. Toys. You want toys. Deke makes you want, <laughs> I toys. want toys. Yes. That's why I like Deke. Bam. That's what makes watching it bearable for this Joe fan. A lot of people can't. They can't bring themselves to do it. They, like, switch it off after a few minutes. They can't stand it. Okay. Fair enough. Have you guys, like, put a pair of cryptic eyes on it? Because, I mean, I, I haven't combed through the Friedman stuff just because of time. But you do, we do know at this point that Friedman was working on a couple levels. Mm. Yeah, for mm. sure. Um, I haven't watched enough of the Deke series yet to um, have any thoughts about it, but I, I think I'm 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 slowly kind of um, swallowing more of the Deke. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Nicely done. While we didn't get Deke uh, in South Africa, we did get GI Joe Extreme when the odds are a million to one, and that's the way we like it. <laughs> Extreme. You want to know something crazy about that? The guy that did the extreme toy line, I think, just followed Joe Berg on Twitter. So we should we should chat him up in the future. Oh, oh yeah. Props, dude. I, you, you know what was so? It's funny not me, about brother. Joe, Joe extreme for me. Well, What's props that? Props to that guy. I mean, like for, for oh, props to him for following, for following us. us. That's but props yeah. to you for you know for him wanting to follow us. Brilliant, dude. I just throw I just throw Joe Berg Twitter business cards at people. That's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. What well, was good Creatures about this, Steven, was... Well, what I really liked, apart from the animation style, which was f very vibrant, very action-packed, very fun, to my mind, and the cool, like, designs and stuff, very 90s, but it worked. Like, the, the very heavy shading was cool. I liked that. I even didn't mind the oversized physiques. I'm talking about the animation. Toys, different story. Hmm. And they didn't come here, sadly. But what I found really fun with the animation was I could very easily find corollaries between G.I. Joe Extreme and my toys. Like, Stalker was only a stone's throw away from Quick Strike. It was Stalker with an accent. Lieutenant Stone was a duke, clearly. And Black Dragon was Snake Eyes Who Could Talk. And as Robot Chicken points out, with frosted tips. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, and, like, Metalhead is a very cool characterization of rock and roll. Like, a more youthful, but, like, very much in tune with the sort of rock angle. Mm. So, G.I. Joe Extreme also breathes new personas and new intrigue into how I played with my toys. How it informed how the toys were played with. And what tipped me off to this was... You mentioned the incinerator, Rob. Mm. Well, there was a agent of Iron Claw's forces called Inferno, I think. Mm. Anyway, he was this villainous dude who worked with flames. And all of a sudden, incinerator became characterized as that guy. Yeah. Which was so rad, because here was just like a cannon foddery cobra figure, which didn't mm. get much enjoyment. And now mm. he's like calling the shots he's like a boss with a flamethrower hmm. all courtesy of uh this character's appearance in gi joe extreme extreme 
Stream! <laughs> Some lemon juice there. <laughs> I think I, I think we can stick a fork in this lady of the 90s. Robust. <laughs> yeah. If I can just go on record for one thing for G.I. Joe Extreme. Paul, we're fourth and long. <laughs> yeah, fourth and long. <laughs> You're going for it. Don't get sacked. I, I actually, right. although... <laughs> Um, although I can ap- appreciate what Steve said about the Deeks show, um, and it's a sentiment which I also can echo in that I love that I love seeing some of the toys uh, being alive in the show, like the Condor and things like that. Um, I do find Extreme to be a better show, like mm-hmm. to be more interesting, you know, plot-wise and and whatever personally. And I like the characterization, but uh, that's just I just wanted to put that out there. Um, and and I'm hoping that they do a box set for G.I. Joe Extreme if they haven't already and it's somehow gone under my radar because that is something I would like to own in my G.I. Joe collection. Not as a completist, but as somebody who actually appreciates what was done on, with that show. Mm. You know, Freight is roadblock. Yeah. Guys, check out my new Major Blood uh, figure. He is super awesome. But uh, there is a bit of a quandary with this toy. Which way should you hold his yellow gun? Should it be held... Underslung under his arm, or should it be held overslung? So should I say held like a normal gun, or should it be held like a BFG, as in it hangs from you? I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna skew the vote by giving my opinion, but I think it's gonna be a landslide, bro. Yeah, one of the way or the other. Uh, personally, I also have my own way, and I think it. I don't know. I I I don't know if it's uh, me just being different for different sake, but it aesthetically it makes more sense the way I like it. But I'd love to see what the fans say because I think it's important that we look at the gear of of some of these Joes and you know sort of take out some of the mystery there. I mean, you know, we've got the Fang launchers, you know, like the the Heat Vipers Fang launcher situation bazooka thing there. And uh, that also has its own little bits of mystery. So that's something to look out for on the Twitter sphere. On the topic of social media, this month, being July, marks the beginning of an event on YouTube that HCC788 has started. Uh, he is a big-time G.I. Joe community kind of guy, and he pulls us all together for collaborative events. And this one's called Cobra Convergence. It's a massive undertaking spanning, I guess, about five, maybe six different uh, G.I. Joe channels on YouTube. And we're all pulling in together to, uh, to combine on a series of reviews and an ongoing plot thread, which you, as a viewer, can become involved in. I'm being vague for a reason, because episode one has just dropped. So, like it's hot. check out HCC 788's YouTube channel, and uh, stay tuned, because you'll be seeing some G.I. Joburg content shortly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you guys are all gonna, you're gonna like it. Just like we all liked... 90s Joes somehow. Somehow we found those those neon gold nuggets, you know, amongst amongst everything else. And somehow we realized 
it nineties can be cool like the eighties. Not that cool. <laughs> no, 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 obviously not that cool, but still pretty awesome in its own special, you know, way. Extreme way. Forth. Very true. Cowabunga, yeah, dudes! Ah, uh, awesome. Somebody yeah, stick him. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get myself uh, Deep Six's fin back because that is the ultimate animal companion. This angry dolphin. <laughs> Thank you, the nineties. <laughs> uh. But yeah, my favorite thing uh, to come out of 93, uh, it's my favorite action figure. I think I'm pretty sure she's uh, listening. Uh, I joked that I'd send her a shout out, so I just wanted to put that out there. Um, and other than That's that, not bad. yeah, yeah. Don't have a code name for her yet. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, well, is that? It sounds like we're winding down, so I'll, I'll spin out too. Good lord, we got so many people we want to chat up on Joe Berg. Maybe, maybe we should start breaking these off for every week for a little bit. I don't know. But I did want to send out uh, a thank you to uh, most people know that the Joe Con went down. And it, it's it's kind of being categorized as kind of a just a gathering of old friends at this point because uh, there's not a whole lot of product to go around and stuff. But there was some people on Twitter that, that shared, and uh, I just want to – uh, one the other Joe community, I think is, I don't, I don't know his name. You know how I am with names, but I think it's uh, Shattered Glass Jazz and his lady went to JoeCon, and they dropped a bunch of picture tweets and kind of kind of gave the vibes. So I appreciate that. Thank you guys. He's part of that other Joe YouTube podcast. So run those guys down. And also we'll we'll, we'll go with the handle at Here Be Wonder, which is kind of as vague as as yours, uh, Rob. Really. But uh, C. Norman uh, did 30 days of the G.I. Joe challenge, uh, which is why you love G.I. Joe. And, and it just drops like your various characters and stuff. So if, if you want to meet a Joe fan in the tweets, run that down. He linked most of it together. And honestly, feel free to do that on your end. Link them together and we'll put them in the Joe Berg stream. Or we'll just kind of get to know the community as it unravels. And that's all I got. Great job on Joe Con. And uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting about the next one. I'll end with this. The next JoeCon is likely the last. If you can make it, let's 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 long play it. I'm I'm talking to you guys, but I'm also talking to the community because well, we've all been in this for quite some time, and who knows if the ride's over or not. But there should there should be friendships that are recognized and, and stuff like that. I'm not going to go into it, but you know what I mean. Uh, and, and I did spit some fire early on, like I said I would. Uh, you can find me in the tweets at 86 Cujo. At the end of the day. I, I, I want this brand to thrive and wherever it's at, you know, as long as it's thriving, cool. But yeah, creators butt heads, that's how it goes. Nice. Yep. I think I'm gonna go watch uh, some Cobra Convergence. Yeah, for sure. I think everyone should do that. Wait, mm. hint, hint. I'm gonna watch some Cobra Convergence too and then watch some Deke afterwards. Yeah, wank wank. Oh, damn. <laughs> I'm gonna hit up some. The odds are a million to one, and that's the way we like it! The Atto Extreme! Extreme! Beautiful. Good night, fellas. It's been real. It's been fun. Kujo actually hung up on our serenade. That's funny. Good night, Paul. Good night, Steve.